podcast has bad words. <laughs> Alexa, kill Ryan Nicodemus. <laughs> Calling Ryan Nicodemus. <laughs> no. <laughs> Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'll be fine without it Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I am Ryan Nicodemus, and together we are the Minimalists. Welcome to episode 146. Today, we're going to talk about curation. Curations. Yeah. <laughs> I love I love a good curation. Now, Ryan, I, I, I saw someone on our YouTube comments last week. Why do you look at YouTube comments? Because I, it's a great way to, to interact with, with oh our audience. Oh, God. <laughs> no, see, I mean, I'm, I'm, one I'm, of us has to. Um, I'm and, kidding. And, and so um, I, I found that uh, where was our YouTube comments are overwhelmingly like helpful and engaging. Yeah. No, by um, and large, our audience is pretty awesome, man. Like they're not not too many trolls. Uh, yeah, but there was one was like, could you please keep it more minimal with the time of your podcast? Because and uh, so I I what I did whole, I mean I I wanted to listen to this person I thought it was valid feedback so what I did is I created two special podcasts for them oh there, there's a secret I got a secret weekly two minute podcast for them now wow and so here, here's how it works here's how you access the secret weekly two minute podcast if you want the two minute version of this here's how you find it and it's a secret but we're gonna share it with our audience right now okay share the secret all right step one there's two steps to this step yeah. one yeah. Is you you go to our normal podcast uh-huh. on YouTube? Yeah, at the zero minute mark, you press play. Right. Uh huh. And then, I like where this is going. And then step two. So then it, you're playing. It's playing, and it's it's the podcast is going. Yeah, the, you're right. You're right. He's, the, this you person's watching it, but you haven't unlocked the two minute podcast yet. Ah, you're still okay. at the normal podcast. How do you unlock the two minute podcast? Step two. Mm-hmm. At exactly the two minute mark. <laughs> You press stop and you walk away from your computer. Man, that's crazy. Voila. That's crazy. You now have a two-minute podcast. Oh, and here's the other one. So this is... That one was secret. I also have a top secret zero-minute podcast every week. Here's how, here's how you access that. You unsubscribe from our podcast. Oh, my God. I uh, I didn't think we were going to start out patronizing our uh, our audience. No, not our audience. <laughs> just this one person. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, if you want, to, want it to be more minimal, you just unsubscribe. <laughs> when anyone says... when when Because how many jokes do we hear, dude? Like, I'm in the grocery store, and I've got, like, you know, a half a dozen lemons, and someone will come up to me and be like, that's not a very minimal amount of lemons. <laughs> like, as soon as someone inserts the word minimal, like, I assume they're making a joke. Uh-huh. And if they're not making a joke, I just assume they're being a dick. Yeah, right. And, and quite, <laughs> I think people are trying to, like, what's the term? Negging? Um, Egging or negging? Well, th- those are two different things, okay. both of which are not helpful. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> but like I was at the uh, the Bozeman Airport last month, and um, this guy came up to me, and I had my packed bag with me, P A K T, packed yeah. bag. It was packed as well, my packed packed bag, and <laughs> and he was like, "Hey, you're the minimalist guy. Is that 
You sure are traveling with a lot for a minimalist. There. I would have turned around and walked away. I wouldn't have even said anything. I'd have been like, I'd have just turned around and walked away. Oh, I said, I said, oh, that's the first time I've heard that joke. Oh, but, <laughs> all right, that's even better. Although that's kind of es- looked, that's kind of escalating the situation, but yeah. that is good. That's he, he that, that's a good like, comeback. Oh man, like I was being a dick. I'm sorry. Right. Yeah, and um, I do have some follow up from last week. Last week, you and I were talking about perspectives mm-hmm. and and. Uh, Last night I was walking around preparing for the podcast and this woman comes up to me with this, uh, with, with like a foreign accent and she goes, uh, actually I wrote down exactly what she said here. She goes, can I take a picture? And I'm like, what accent was it? I don't know. Where was she from? Jersey? (laughs) (laughs) Well, she was, I think Italian. Oh, okay. okay. Um, and, uh, she said, can I take a picture? And I'm like. Yeah, that's definitely Jersey. And I'm like, sure. And so like, uh, she hands me her phone and so I put my arm around there. I start taking the picture. She goes, no, 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 just, just a picture of me. <laughs> that's awesome. She had no idea who I was, but like, that is awesome. I don't know, it happens. You just assumed. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, cause here's what happened. Uh, we, we developed these patterns over time. Like, yeah, for, there was a time a decade ago, for sure, even five years ago, someone comes up to me and says, can you take a picture? I'm going to just take their phone and take a picture of them because no one would want possibly want a picture of me. But over the last three, four years, like people come up pretty regularly to me, especially since I'm very recognizable because I have a gigantic forehead. <laughs> Shout out to our YouTube audience. Yeah. Um, and, um, y- you know, people come up and say, hey, can I, can I take a picture with you? It happens very regularly. Sometimes they don't even ask. That's happened twice to me, yeah. <laughs> or someone just comes up, puts their arm around me and like does the selfie. I'm like, what the hell are you doing? Like, You, you could at least ask to take a picture with me. Um, and so uh, we we develop these patterns. We develop these grooves. And, and uh, so I had to step back for a second and be like, oh, yeah, you idiot. Like, this person doesn't want a picture with you. Like, we... We, I'm just in this pattern all of a sudden, um, and and so I need to step back, even in moments like that, and say, mm. "Hey, is this what someone is actually asking me?" Yeah, right? um, yeah, dude. It's I. Uh, I'm so glad I have Mariah in my life because she really helps me with perception. Meaning, like some, like even with movies, like I, I just don't comprehend like normal people comprehend when it's putting together a linear story of a movie i am constantly like all right so who's this person yeah what are they doing <laughs> can we rewind it <laughs> have you seen westworld oh yeah I, i've seen a couple episodes yeah i just uh bex and i finished season two finally i know it's mm. been out for a while but we take our our time with it mm-hmm. and it is a uh what's the 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 phrase a a uh podcast sean would probably know um it's like a, a uh, anyway. It's definitely non-linear, but but mm. it, it's a puzzle, right? It's a puzzle box. Puzzle box narrative mm. is, is the way to describe it. And so there are certain parts that start in like roughly 1952, and then parts that are in 2015, and you don't really know when until the very end. Mm. And it's one of those things that, uh, like Infinite Jest, is another example. The book Infinite Jest, yeah. the first chapter you have to go back and read after you finish the book because you realize that the first chapter takes place after the end of the book. And right. and uh, and but Westworld was even more so. Like you're you have all these puzzle pieces, and you're and especially because some of the actors play two different characters in the story, it's highly confusing. It makes me want to go back 
and rewatch the entire thing, like spend a weekend and and just like I don't know, in three or that's three how I feel days. about Game of Thrones, man. Like it's, I've never seen it because I can't commit to something like that. Yeah, but. there are so many. Um, well, it's as long it's as long as like Breaking Bad. I mean, it's uh, but it, it's probably not, it's not your style because it's got dragons in it and stuff, man. Yeah, I'm and it's to- not nearly it's not nearly boring enough for your taste. It's got way <laughs> too much excitement, <laughs> way, way too much fun. Plus, I'm super prejudiced against dragons. <laughs> <laughs> we just lost our dragon audience josh <laughs> hey they're probably listening to the two minute podcast anyway <laughs> i think we're past the two minute mark at this point uh, so we're talking about curation today and and i think one way to describe minimalism is minimalism is a well curated life yeah and, I totally and so agree. I wanted to talk to you because I don't like just finding articles that back up my, my points, but uh, I sent you this article this week about, it, it, this, one, this one's from Bloomberg, it's a, an op-ed piece by Tyler Cohen, and it's called Americans Own Less Stuff, and That's Reason to Be Nervous. First off, I totally disagree, and I think most data will actually back up that we don't own less stuff. What he means is we have access to more things like Kindle books as opposed to physical books. We have, we have less of a need for ownership. Less of a need for ownership of physical items. Right. Like no longer do I need a cassette right. when I can I can have the album in my pocket mm-hmm. or you don't unlimited need a DVD. Number. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. So let's read this and let's let's try to talk uh, talk about it and we'll we'll pick it apart a little bit because I think this applies to the topic of of curation and how we can have a well curated life. I think some of it has to do with access. So yeah. here's what Tyler Cohen says. Some social problems are blatantly obvious in daily life, while others are longer term, more corrosive, and perhaps mostly invisible. Lately, I've been worrying about a problem of the latter kind, the erosion of personal ownership and what that will mean for our loyalties of traditional American concepts of capitalism and private property. The main culprits for the change are software and the internet. For instance, Amazon's Kindle and other methods of online reading have revolutionized how Americans consume text. 15 years ago, People typically owned the books and magazines they were reading, much less so now. If you look at the fine print, it turns out that you do not own the books on your Kindle. Amazon.com Inc. does. And, and my response to that is, so what? Like, yeah. I, it's, like, it's like iTunes Music. I mean, we spend 10 bucks a month. Right. We don't own the music. And right. if we ever cancel that subscription, we lose the albums that we downloaded. Right. I yeah. mean, yeah, it's, but it, yeah. But so, so think about like you and I used to get like GQ magazine in the mail, right? right. And remember in my basement, I had like big bins full of old GQs. I had ownership of them. Yeah. But the value isn't in the ownership of the artifact yeah. to me. The value is in the words themselves. If you're getting value from the book, you're getting value from the magazine or article, you're getting value from the music, it's not because you own that CD, it's because you enjoy listening to that. And I am, I've become vehicle agnostic. I don't mm. care whether it's on a CD. I own one CD, it's Parlor Hawk's second album, Parlor Hawk. Um, and, um, it's in my car because like, my car has one CD slot. And so... Is that not on uh, stream, the streaming platforms or... It may not be. I know I have a downloaded version of it. Yeah. Um, but uh, Andrew is the one who did the soundtrack to uh, the lead singer of, of our... Of our um, uh, of that band did the, the soundtrack to our first documentary and 
the good news is they're going to start working on the. Well, we'll talk about this later, but yeah. um, I can't wait. Start working on the soundtrack for the second documentary. Anyway, uh, back to the article here. I do not consider this much of a practical problem. Yeah, yeah, me either. Uh, although Amazon could obliterate the books on my Kindle, this has happened uh, only a, in a very small number of cases, typically involving account abuse. Okay, so if someone's abusing the the terms of the Kindle, of course they could obliterate it. It's not, however, in Amazon's interest to randomly go in and delete your Kindle collection, right? Or start messing with you and saying. Oh, I don't want Ryan to read, you know, Infinite Jest. I, right. I'm going to remove this from his Kindle so he yeah. reads Fifty Shades of Grey. Uh, still, this licensing of ebooks instead of stacking books on a shelf has altered our psychological sense of how we connect to what we read. It's no longer truly ours. Mm. Good. But, yeah, that's awesome. That is great. <laughs> yeah. It, because what really what he's saying is has altered our psychological sense of how we can connect to what we read connect to what we need i would say yeah it allows us like to that. more easily detach from physical ownership of artifacts that aren't adding value to our lives because it's up there in the cloud you know think of an album that you bought over a decade ago but haven't sure. listened to since oh yeah absolutely and, i mean dude i had when i was digitizing uh dvds and, and cds like i remember i had that you know 100 200 book of cds and like a lot of them were like burnt cds uh-huh. that you know that someone had given me right uh, and i just had like the songs listed out but i remember just like going through the i probably threw 150 of them away mm-hmm. because you know uh well the, the 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 vast reason why was because i was not listening to those you know to three quarters of those cds right and, i and didn't see myself listening to them in the near future and if they're in the cloud it's easy to let go of them because you know you'll still have access yeah. to them in the future if, mm-hmm. if you do want to break out that abba album and yeah. you want to listen to it then then you can but you, if you don't then you don't and that's okay you've detached from it yeah this tech th- th- these technologies enable us to detach more easily and i think that's such a great thing dude you hit the nail on the head with uh the experience is what we get joy out of right and we used to have to own these things in order to access that experience yes and dude it, i mean it wasn't that long ago 20 years ago so so over the last 20 years i mean we we have been evolving to less ownership and more access and i you know i think this is just a this article is a reaction to change it's a reaction to uh this evolution that is that is happening man but mm-hmm. but again those those experiences that we want with a cd with a book yeah, dude, like we don't have to own a physical copy. We can access it anytime. Yeah, and I'm not against ownership. I own some physical books. Yeah. I own a car, but I also have access to more books on, on my Kindle. Mm-hmm. And I also have access to Lyft or Uber if I if I want to, or those little bird scooters or whatever. Like there are other means of transportation or the subway system here. You know, I, I have the ability to have access to things without without having to own everything yeah. you don't have a home gym in your home you have access to the equipment that other people share right. you don't have to own every single weight that's in your gym because i know you lift all the weights all Ryan. yeah and and they'd be they gotta really- pull weights out of the back <laughs> <laughs> to add more weight anyway uh back to this article here the change in our relationship with physical objects does not stop there we used to buy DVDs or video cassettes. Now viewers stream movies or TV shows with Netflix. Good. 
That is great. I feel like an 85-year-old, like, angry baby Luddite. Yeah, wrote this. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And I feel like his father may have written, like, an article about... um, uh, you know how he was mad that eight tracks were turning into cassette tapes or or, or something. Right. Uh, even the company's disc mailing service is falling out of favor. Good. What would I do with a DVD if you mailed one to me? A, you you you're mailing something to me, so you're wasting all this packaging. And yeah. and, and by the way, it's going to take more people to ship the thing. And yeah, the environmental and, costs alone. Yeah, it, are not worth it. Absolutely. And so. Yes, it's falling out of favor. Good. If you sent me a DVD, I would have to go buy a DVD player to play it. Right. I don't want to have to do that. Music lovers used to buy compact discs. Now Spotify and YouTube are more commonly used to hear our favorite tunes. Yeah? Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. I have access to all... I don't have to carry around this damn CD booklet or... I used to have a 50-disc CD changer in my trunk. Yeah, dude. And... It's crazy. Uh, you know, I have OCD, so I knew where, what was in all 50 disc oh, slots. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was alphabetized. <laughs> <laughs> the great American teenage dream used to be to own your own car. That is dwindling in favor of urban living, greater reliance on mass transit, oh my God. cycling, walking, and, of course, ride-sharing services such as Uber and Lyft. You know, this whole, uh-huh. ar- this whole article, it just made me think of, like, how so you look at millennials and they get such a bad rap dude yeah they get such a bad oh they're lazy they don't want to buy stuff anymore mm-hmm. they don't want to have to own a cd they want i mean this sounds like it is um i know they're not specifically targeting millennials but it could be but they are by proxy by proxy they are and here's the thing man is that people nowadays especially millennials they want meaning in their life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They want to do something that is purposeful. Mm-hmm. They are not after, uh, oh, I'm going to get a job. I'm going to have a wife and 2.3 kids, and I'm going to have a, a, my own piece of land, and maybe if I get rich enough, I can have my own theater. I can have all these things to pacify me. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is that is uh, what what we have done as a culture uh, over you know past post-industrial age. It's how much stuff can we get how many pacifiers can we bring into our lives? Right. And ultimately, man, that's what I hear this article saying is it is we, people are cutting back on their pacifiers per se. Mm-hmm. And uh, th- yeah, I, it's a good thing, man. Or, or also people are sharing more frequently. Right. How is that? about? Again, I go back to the gym analogy, right? There was a time if you wanted exercise equipment, there was not generally a local place to go to work out. Mm -hmm. Or if there was, it was far away. And now there's access to gyms in pretty much every small town even. Mm -hmm. Um, We lived in Missoula, Montana. There's probably 10, 15 20 different gyms there. Dude, yeah. I mean, it had the nicest gym. I mean, Mar and I... We belong to like the one of the nicest gyms in LA. Mm-hmm. When I say it's nice, it is uh, it's clean, you know, uh, awesome staff, uh, some pretty cool amenities. Mm-hmm. But like that is doesn't even touch what we had in Missoula. Anyway, yeah, sorry, that was a little bit of a tangent. Well, I, I, and I think the the nice thing it, the nice thing is imagine how much it would cost you to buy everything you use oh at the gym. Yeah, tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah. I mean, we're, and, and by the way, then Good. you'd also need the space to fill it, and you'd you'd be the one taking care of it, and you'd be washing the towels, and I mean, all of these additional costs. Yeah. And so, 
I say good to all of us. Each of these changes is beneficial, yet I worry that Americans are, slowly but surely, losing their connection to the idea of private ownership. Here's why I disagree with this. Um, so, uh, Soul Cycle class. You and I have gone to Soul Cycle. We talked about it last week on the podcast. Um, I, after going to Soul Cycle several times, realized I'd like to do this more frequently. But I would like to do it when it's appropriately timed for me. Mm-hmm. And so Bex and I, after a month or two months actually of doing the research and planning and, and uh, making sure that we could afford it, we bought a, a Soul Cycle bike basically. Mm-hmm. One that's actually better than you would use in a Soul Cycle class because it has like monitors and stuff. But um, what, what it's I got like the workouts on the monitors. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and also, but it, uh, it tells you what your resistance is, what your cadence is. Oh, instead and, of like just the little knob where you're like, yeah, this feels right. Y- you use the knob, right. but then it'll tell you like your okay. your resistance is 35. <laughs> now we're going to move that resistance up to 55. And, gotcha. And so it's actually more helpful than the Soul Cycle class for me. But it's more helpful also because I can use it like if I want to use it at seven o'clock in the morning yeah. or, or whenever, and I don't have to leave the house to do it. Yeah. Uh, and I'm doing it much more frequently as a result. Right. Now, the problem with that is a lot of people, well, you and I talked about the Seth Godin thing where his grandma bought the exercise equipment and she thought it would do the work for her. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's often the problem we have with a lot of ownership. And so having access to that Soul Cycle class was the reason that I b- brought this new bike into my life. I wouldn't have brought it into my life otherwise because I would be like, I'm not really sure. I'm not sure if I'm going to use it, but once I started going to Soul Cycle, like, oh, this is beneficial to me, uh, but I want a, a way to be able to do this in my house daily or every other day. Right. Then I decided to own the thing because it made sense for me. Yeah. The same thing with with car ownership. I own a car because it makes sense for me. It doesn't make sense for everyone, and if it doesn't make sense for you, I applaud you. I say that's great. If I lived in Manhattan, it would it would be a burden for me to own a car. I'd rather have access and share that access with everyone yeah, else. I, I, yeah, just <clears throat> like you said, man, it sounds like we're going more towards a sharing community. Um, yeah, the, uh, the there's nothing wrong with private ownership. Um, that's we, we certainly aren't against that, as you just expressed with your with your exercise bike. But it, it you know it can it can get dangerous with things like well you know nowadays like people want their own home theater. Mm-hmm. Like you used to go to the theater and it right. was an experience and you right. got out, you would see, you know, people in the community. I mean, it's not a very interactive experience with the community, but mm-hmm. it, it was this way. Uh, it was this thing that would, you know, bring uh, the community together a little bit more. Now, uh, you know, people want to have their own private home theater. And mm-hmm. that is uh, the that type of private ownership. It can just pull us away from being engaged engaging with the community so i I, again dude i totally love that we're heading towards a sharing community yeah yeah sharing Uh, market the nation was based on the notion that private ownership gives individuals a stake in the system i I don't agree with that but we'll talk we'll talk about read that sentence again the nation was based on the notion that private ownership gives individuals a stake in the system wow i don't think that's what gave individuals a stake in the system i think um we we come from relative Puritan uh, upbringing, our country does, mm-hmm. and the stake in the system was always hard work, right? Right. And, and Not ownership, yeah. That's yeah. I, I think, uh, and and now <clears throat> what I, I like to see the shift go toward toward instead of hard work is meaningful work. Absolutely, dude. Well, you know what though, man the that stake in the system with with ownership with private ownership of something, uh-huh. um, that is like a false sense of having a stake. It's like 
it's like uh, <clears throat> I don't know. I I could liken it to on a day where um, maybe I don't get a whole lot done, but I've I've caught up on email and you know I've caught up on social media, and I feel like ah I got something done today, but really mm-hmm. I didn't really get anything done. There's nothing meaningful uh, w- when we are just catching up on things. That's a, yeah. That's another way to say it too, man. Is it, it might be maybe it is a stake. Mm-hmm. In in our society, but it's not a very meaningful stake in our society. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So, someone tweeted uh, me recently, uh, or tweeted at the minimalists, and uh, said, "Well, I, I disagree with the." Basically, they said something about, um, "I find this coffee mug that I have to be so meaningful." Awesome, and. and like but they, they they said it in a way that was almost like belligerent and like you guys are totally wrong. I find my coffee mug to be meaningful, and you know my response was, well, then you know when you die, you should ask your family to bury you with it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, because here's the, the the truth: we can't we can't bring we don't own anything ultimately, right? Like. Right. We're just renting for the 80 years that we are here. Yeah. And then maybe we can pass those rentals on to a future generation or whatever. And that's what we want to talk about today is is what does it mean to, to curate? So we're going to get back to this article here. Um, it set Americans apart from feudal peasants. Taught us how property rights and incentives operate. Totally disagree about that. Incentives operate not via physical goods, but uh, we're incentivized to do all kinds of things that have nothing to do with private property or physical ownership of physical goods. Yeah. Uh, in fact, um, we don't pay people like, like Podcast Sean or, or Jordan No More over here. Um, we don't. K N O W More. Yeah. K N O. Yeah. Yeah. Jordan No More. Um, I, and we don't pay them in physical goods. Right. Like, hey, could should, you imagine? If, like, we just like gave you guys. Here's a Casio watch. Yeah. This is for your week's <laughs> worth of work. And Sean, here's a jar of jelly beans. Right. Um, <laughs> Sean would like podcast. Sean would love that jar of jelly beans. Yeah, he would. Uh, his his daughters would like just take it from him anyway. So, um, yeah, we we don't we incentivize them. Not I don't even give, we don't give them physical money even. Right, you know, ninety over ninety percent of the the money that that's in our country is digitized as well. It's zeros and ones. Right, they're incentivized by zeros and ones. Mm. And it's what those other zeros and ones get them. And quite often, it's not a physical good. It could be Spotify or whatever, right? Yeah. You're paying for Spotify with the zeros and ones that we gave you. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a kind of training for future entrepreneurship. Uh, no, today's entrepreneurs are often selling services, not physical goods. Mm. Do we not, as parents, give our children pets or other valuable possessions to teach them the basic lessons of life and stewardship? Uh, no, I've never given Ella a pet to teach her stewardship. Um, we're hardly at a point where Americans' properly, uh, property has been abolished, but I am still nervous that we are finding ownership to be so inconvenient. Uh, again, yes, we're talking about convenience, the convenience economy, the access economy. The reason that we live in a city is you walked here today. You didn't have to take a car. Dude, ownership is inconvenient. Quite often it is. Dude, I and mean... Some, and sometimes it is convenient. We just... Yeah, yeah sometimes, but like we just moved. Uh, Mariah and I just moved to a new apartment 
And I mean, it took the movers four hours, like from time of picking up our stuff to going 30 minutes across town, Mm -hmm. stopping at Podcast Sean's place to drop off a mattress that we didn't need anymore, Mm -hmm. then going to our place and loading everything up to our place. It took them four hours. Mm -hmm. That's convenient, man. Yeah. And and can you imagine if you're Colin Wright? He could move in four minutes. Right. And because he's not inconvenienced by all the stuff, right? right. He owns 52 items or whatever it is. And, yeah. And, and that's it. By the way, check out Colin Wright on tour, becomingtour.com. Owning a car is inconvenient, man. I mean, if, if I could do a rideshare everywhere I went and it wasn't ungodly expensive, I'd do that. In LA, having a, a car makes it a little bit better uh, a little less expensive getting from point A to point B. Yeah. But ultimately, dude, I hate owning a car. I got to change the oil in the thing, clean the thing. I got to, there's so many other other aspects of owning a car besides just parking it in my garage yeah, and then using it when it. I need it. Yeah. Insurance and all, all of these the, other things. Dude, now I've yeah. got, I don't know if, so in, you remember a little rust spot that was on the passenger? Yeah. Uh, passenger yeah. side of the back door. Um, it uh, it is like there's nothing there now because of the salt from the ocean. Oh, <laughs> it's just like a matter of time before I like, I gotta do something. I either gotta replace the door. I don't know. I gotta do something about it. But anyway, but just that one thing, dude. Like I was thinking about that last time. I'm like, if I didn't own a car, I wouldn't have to worry about this stupid rust spot. Yeah, yeah. If yeah. you don't own a car, you don't you don't have rust problems right. on, on your car. Yeah. What about your iPhone? That all essential life device. Surely you own that. Well, sort of. When Apple Inc. decides to change the operating software, sooner or later, you have to go along with what they have selected. Gmail is due to change its overall look and functionality, maybe for the better. But again, eventually, this choice will not be yours either. Yeah, I don't want to design the software for my Gmail account. I would prefer to let the experts, the the curators, yeah. allow them to do that. Because here's here's how the market works, Tyler. Um, the market works that if we hate the thing, then we move on to something else. Skype mm. has had this problem recently. They forced people to upgrade to whatever the new software system was. I mean, Microsoft got mm. so many complaints that they actually had to go back and say, okay, we're going to, we're going to allow you to have this old version that's different from the mobile version. Yeah. That's how the market works. Cause if you don't like the thing, mm. you move on to the, the better thing. Now mm. we, we can talk about how some, some companies develop a monopoly. That's a different kind of problem. Right. Um, <clears throat> if it's YouTube, it's not a true monopoly cause you can put something, we could put this video on Vimeo. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so we could talk about maybe some of these things should be considered public utilities like Google or YouTube. I don't necessarily believe so, but I think there can be good arguments for that. That's completely different from the argument he's making here for physical ownership. Yes, I would prefer that Gmail uh, figures out their interface instead of allowing me to design their interface for them. Right. Unless you're like Derek Sivers, who (laughs) has their own email their own email, like their own email server. Yeah. Yeah. But 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 again, though, like that's his preference. Yeah. And here's the thing, dude: is that is a that is, A, you have to have the knowledge on how to set that up, but B, you have to afford that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Gmail, this example that they're using, yes, like maybe we don't have full control over it. Mm-hmm. To your point, it's good we don't because we don't understand how to make a, 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 uh, a, a email service. But um, it also makes it more accessible. Like Gmail's free. Right. And if you don't like Gmail, you can use Another free, Yahoo yeah. or Hotmail or what are the other ones? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but there are a bunch of other ones. Yeah, out there, there are. Well. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, always, I, I see people like with the uh, 
uh, still have friends like in Cincinnati where they're cincy.rr.com. <laughs> There's plenty out there. Imagine the Internet of Things penetrating our homes and more through services like Amazon's Alexa. Kill Ryan Nicodemus. <laughs> we'll have ovens and thermostats that you set with your voice. That's pretty cool. And a toilet and a bathroom that periodically give you the equivalent of a medical checkup. Not, not true, but okay. Um, yes, you will still own the title to your physical house, but most of the value in that home, you will, in essence, rent from outside companies. Or in the case of municipal utilities, the government. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I do get my water from the government. And, and you know what? That's okay, because I don't want to have to go to a well every day. Yeah. Uh, and and get the water and then heat it up. I would argue that anything we think we own, anyways. I mean, it, if anything on a long enough time timeline is ephemeral, right? Right. So I mean, we really don't own anything anyway, man. Right. Like it's all gonna go away eventually. I yes. mean, yeah, we could pass it down, but I I would just argue that the the the, the concept of ownership. Well, it's just that it's a concept, and because people accept the concept, then. Uh, then yes, ownership is is a thing, but ultimately, I mean, it's yeah, you're right, it's all borrowed. Yeah. So I'm gonna put uh, Sean. If you could put a link to this in the show notes here, I'll hand this over to you now, so you have it. If you could put a link to that podcast, Sean, in the show notes, the uh, the rest of the article goes on. But uh, that's our our bit of a rant on on ownership versus access. You know what? I am for both. I want to own certain things. Yeah. I want to have access to certain things, and I want that to change over time uh, sometimes I might want to own a car but there may be a, a point in time where I just want access to a car maybe I want to stop owning the thing altogether mm-hmm. or I might want to own a house or I might want to rent a house that's access to a house when we travel on tour we have access to a room either Airbnb or a hotel I don't want to buy a house right. when I go to Nashville for a week right all right, uh, so I tell you what, let's dive into some of these voicemails if you're good with that, Ryan. Let's do it, man. Our first question today is from Tracy in Pennsylvania, Lewisburg. I'm a full time stay at home mother. Prior to this, I had a career as a collections manager for art museums. My job was literally to make sure that as many objects as possible existed for as long as possible in their physical or digital space. I love museums, and they bring a lot of value to my life, and I hope they will bring value to my children's lives and my grandchildren's lives. But the line between Grandma's house, which is stuffed to the rafters with treasures for her grandchildren, and warehouses of museum collections is starting to feel blurry to me. I have no idea if or when I will go back to work outside the home or if I will return to my previous career, but I'm wondering what your thoughts are on museums and natural or cultural history collections. The thing that she said, Ryan, was one cannot know what wide value to future generations. Mm. I think that's simply not true. Hmm. You can know certain things aren't going to add any value at all. And, and the treasures at grandma's house quite often are a burden on the future generation. Yeah. One can know what will burden the future generations. Not, not with everything, but it, we can discern pretty quickly the, the junk from the essentials. Yeah. And, and then that, that middle ground, what is non-essential? What are the things that add value? We, we can figure out some of those things are actually junk. We're kidding ourselves when we think all of these things. Now, she used to be 
Uh, Tracy used to be a collections manager at a mm-hmm. museum. So for all intents and purposes, she was a, a curator. So yeah. I was walking around uh, last night just thinking about curation versus collecting. And I think museums are actually the places that that do it really well. So, so what makes a museum beautiful is the same thing that that I had a, a piece of sourdough bread recently. Mm-hmm. And the thing that makes that a piece of sourdough bread delicious. <laughs> How'd that make you feel? Sorry. Oh, C- continue yeah, with what you're saying. I've got a health update later on okay, uh, all right, cool. uh, today. So we'll do that during right here, right now segment. But um, a piece of sourdough bread, a mm-hmm. really good piece of sourdough bread, bread, it's very light and airy. Yeah. Right? The thing that makes it delicious is that sort of negative space, the airy parts. When you go to a museum... Mm. It's wide open and beautiful. Our architects call it the negative space. Mm. If you have a set of columns, the columns are tall and gorgeous because of the space in between them. The space in between the emptiness are the parts that are just as important as what is there physically. Mm -hmm. I was listening to a podcast with Rob Bell recently. He was talking about the nothing is something with that negative space that is actually part of of the curation knowing what should be there but then also what shouldn't be there Mm. you and i have gone to a lot of museums and we're out on tour right yeah and and the ones that stand out the most are tend to be sparse because that which is meaningful is highlighted by the vast emptiness around it it's one of the the reasons that I find tiny homes less appealing to me personally. I applaud people who uh, really like tiny homes and uh, get a lot of value from them. But for me, part of the reason I don't own a lot of things, but I like having the the negative space uh, in my you know 900 square foot home mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to having all of that those things in. 200 300 square feet and crammed together yeah. uh, i like the beauty the the aesthetics and uh, when i think about the museums that have stood out most to me whether it's in in des moines or you go to the lacma mm-hmm. or, or wherever or the getty yeah 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 the, it's yeah it's it's the the museum buildings themselves uh, are what make those museums awesome for me they have great uh, collections as well yes but you're absolutely right like every single bit of detail in uh, the Getty and the, the one in Des Moines um, specifically, every single architectural detail is uh, considering the negative space. It's considering how the curation of art is being presented. How the collection of art is with, being presented. Yeah, with the, with the building. And so, so I love what you just said about, about they have great collections, but mm-hmm. if it was just the collection, imagine going to a storage unit on the edge of town in Franklin, Ohio, yeah, and and all of a sudden, in there you have the a Mona Lisa. The Mona Lisa you have a Picasso painting, like just stacked you know, amongst boxes of other junk, right? Yeah, uh, figurines and statues, and 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 you have junk in there with this collection of beautiful art. Would that art? evoke the same feelings and emotions no you'd be like that's beautiful but Mm -hmm. why isn't it why aren't we treating it appropriately Mm. that's what curators do and so i wrote down this thing last night good curators create space collectors 
just fill space. Mm. You could put that as a minimal maximum podcast, Sean. It's good, man. Yeah, no, it's. I totally agree. I, I was I was listening to a podcast this this past week. Um, John Caramonica, he's the music critic for the New York Times, and he has a, a weekly podcast called the Popcast. And and uh, this week they were talking about merchandise and and how some merchandise has actually been art over the years. Like uh, bands have have incorporated not just like, well, we're going to sell as many T-shirts as possible, but we're going to find a way to make this part of the the experience. How can we create sort of folk art? And, and physical goods, and um, he actually has the best use. I, I certainly wouldn't call John Caramonica a minimalist, but is the best use I've ever heard of as a storage locker. He he has a storage locker for he collects merchandise. Now he doesn't do a good job curating the merchandise. In fact, mm. that, that's one of the jokes he was making with the guy. Um, there, there's a, a store in I think in Soho um, where they take these old vintage pieces of merchandise and they treat it like art and they sell these you know t-shirts and old vinyls and and and, and these goods from decades past yeah. music there, there's a store that curates those really well now john karamaka has a collection just sitting in a storage locker and my argument would be and this is applicable to tracy mm-hmm. is you're going to get far more value from the collection if you're able to curate it appropriately. And that's why museums stand out to us so much Mm -hmm. because they don't just take all the art they have access to and cram it into a room. Mm -hmm. That that doesn't feel like art. That doesn't feel like intentional uh, use of the space. When you go somewhere like like LACMA, Mm -hmm. it feels like they're using that space intentionally. it creates a set of emotions. They use the space to make you feel something about the art. The space itself, including the negative space, mm-hmm. is part of the art. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I really appreciate uh, professional curators like Tracy. I think that the world needs professional curators. I am not a professional curator, so I leave the curating up to the professionals. I think that's an important point because, Ryan... Y- we agree that a museum curator, I mean, what, that's one out of every one million people is a museum curator. Mm-hmm. There aren't that many of them. Mm-hmm. Let the professional curators handle the curation of large collections and the Library of Congress and all right. those other if things. If I was doing it, I would just hold on to everything. Right. And there would be no curation. It would be just a hoard. And then all we need to do is curate our own spaces. Absolutely. And, and you know, I mean, just to, to Tracy's point like she is a professional curator was or was uh yeah she's been on it for about a year but what i'll say is that there is a difference though between yes uh there is a difference between one person or an organization curating a collection of things they have a collection that they're curating and then you've got a person who is a hoarder Mm -hmm. and there is a there is a very big difference between the two right um you know as far as what uh what adds value to the future generations i was thinking about this like i'm trying to think of an example of something maybe a hundred years ago that we wish we would have held on to that we didn't hold on to mm-hmm. I, I there's not anything i'm sure there's an exception well what's you know, your theme I'm, song? I'm sure there's i'm sure there's an yeah i'm sure there's an answer but like all in all man you're right like there there isn't there isn't a way to uh to sit here and, and, and guess what is going to add, uh, add value to the future generations. But 
but if we if we go at it with that attitude, then I mean, it's just a slippery slope, man. Like absolutely, because everything we can find an excuse for everything to you add could value. optimize There's for always everything. an excuse. Yeah. What was the the art museum? Was that in uh, uh, Tasmania where there was like literally poop? Oh, dude. Yeah. I mean, this. Yeah, it was so genius. This dude made a. Uh, there are different stages to digestion. Uh-huh. So what he did is he took uh, baby poop. Mm-hmm. and uh, took flora from baby poop. Mm-hmm. He uh, basically made this machine that had the different stages of digestion. <laughs> so he put food into the first, what would re- which would you know represent like the stomach with the acid, and then he put the flora in there. Mm-hmm. And then it goes to these different stages mm-hmm. of the digestion tract, and then it eventually makes poop. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, dude, uh, it, that I, th- I love how that artist just basically i think what he did is in his head he was like i'm going to literally make shit yes and i'm going to make it art well there's a david foster wallace short story called the suffering channel and it it takes part of the story involves an artist who basically turns his own feces into art (laughs) and and it's a beautiful metaphor for and especially because it takes place in august of 2001 like right and and the the magazine that's covering him happens to be in the twin towers and mm. and it was this perfect metaphor of like we're spending our time wasting our time talking about shit literally yeah and, and when you know what's about to happen to these people who are in the twin towers like mm. you're all these people are, are are going to die life is ephemeral and we're so worried about shit yeah and and that is exactly what is going on with most of the stuff that we're we're dealing with we're, we're holding it for future generations uh we had ryan delk on the podcast and he was talking about how you can optimize for almost anything. Mm-hmm. You know, you can say, "Well, I better hold on to everything so I have this optimal amount of stuff." No, you can scrutinize, and it's important to scrutinize. And you know what? You might not be all. You might not might not be right all the time. But back to the th- our theme song from Peter Doran. Mm-hmm. I bet you'll be just fine without it. Yeah, and I think that's the the thing to keep in mind. A few other things that that I wrote down. Well, the, I was gonna say the one the, before you before you go on to the next thought. Uh, the one thing that I will say that frustrates me so bad is the libraries that have been destroyed throughout history so like uh alexander the great uh destroyed cleopatra's library with all the information on how pyramids were built and just collections of books so there are there is certain bits of information that we do need to hold on to now we can store those digitally we don't have to have physical books right but there certainly are there is definitely information that we need to pass down like chichen itza they they don't understand how they were able to precisely measure when it comes to acoustics to make the acoustics the way that they were. I mean, th- there's a certain point where there's a I forget what the game is called, but there's a field that they play this game on, and it's about 200 yards long. And literally, I could stand at one end, you stand at the other, and then I could just talk like this. Yeah, and like you would be able to hear me whispering. Right. And all that information is lost because of uh, basically, you know. Christians coming through and this stuff's pegging. We're getting rid of it. Right. So, so, you know, just, just to the point of like, there are things that we do want to pass down from generation to generation. Right. To me, I think knowledge like that is something that might be missed. Um, that I can't think of anything else, but knowledge is definitely something that we want to, 
keep intact for and, sure. And that knowledge is not necessarily a result of the physical artifacts. Back then, that was the only way we had to capture the information. Right. Now we have ways of capturing information, whether it is physical or digital, mm-hmm. that we can pass on and we can make we, we can make redundancies. I mean, even when we, we do this podcast, you know, Sean has certain redundancies set up or with our website, we have redundancies set up. So if it gets, if it gets deleted, you know, we, we make sure there's some sort of redundancy. I, with uh, my photos that I scanned with the scanning party, it's in the cloud, but I also have a, on a hard drive. Mm-hmm. I don't have a physical copy of them anymore, but I have several redundancies. So I can pass that information, those zeros and ones right. on in the future if I want to. Right. I think it's important to digitize whenever we can we can take photos of things that mm-hmm. we want to preserve the 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 those triggers for memories yeah if we want to preserve those photos is taking a photo is a great way to do it but you don't need to hold on to the the large artifact in order to do that but here's the thing mm-hmm. when you curate all of those things when it's grandma's <clears throat> home full of all this excess if you kept just the things that that uh, were that we found to be most meaningful, and we'll talk about how things themselves don't have intrinsic meaning. But but if we if we we get more value from having fewer things than if we water them down with a hoarder's existence. Yeah. And so we need to trust the curators mm-hmm. who are professional curators to curate the museums or the libraries. But then we need to trust ourselves to curate our own spaces and our own homes and our own things. And I, I wrote this down here. I, I, I wrote down that the, the curators are important. Otherwise, anyone could put art in a museum. <laughs> Imagine if you could just go to LACMA and say, oh, you know what, I drew this painting. I'm just going to put it up on the wall here. Banksy totally did that. Uh, or, I forget what museum, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there are people who have done it. Uh, but you know when you go to like a, a Panera Bread or something, I've got the community cork board. And this, this is junk everywhere, all over the cork board. Oh, yeah. It, it, Almost like indiscernible. Like you look at it, you don't even, you you want to turn away from it because it's so distracting and so uh, overwhelming. And that's because it has not been professionally curated. Anyone yeah. can put some sort of notice up there, mm-hmm. you know, check out my band or check out this movie or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And there are other places like the whole food, local Whole Foods where you have to like hand them the the poster, they have to approve it, and then they put it up. Mm-hmm. And as I'm waiting in line at the bathroom at Whole Foods, I always check that out because there's like a few things there, and I'm like, oh, I didn't realize that movie was coming out or, or whatever and it's because those are things that they've approved they've curated it but if it was if it was just the the cork board where anyone could post something to it mm. then all of a sudden it's like oh this isn't curated i'm just going to turn away from it because it's overwhelming right and that's where we've gotten with our stuff we are overwhelmed with our stuff and the way to become less overwhelmed less anxious is to well it's to curate right yeah. and so 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 uh, this thing that uh, Seth Godin talked about in his podcast recently, he said, without curation, there is a race to the bottom. Mm. Now, I think about YouTube, which we're on right now, or Amazon Kindle Books, which we're on as well. Um, they've enabled us to reach a large audience of people. We're in the top 1% of all Kindle books sold. We're in the top 1% of all YouTube channels, even though we don't even have that many YouTube followers. But... Because anyone can start a YouTube channel. So mm. there are plenty of people with one subscriber or two subscribers or 100 subscribers mm-hmm. or whatever. And and so the barrier of entry is functionally zero, mm-hmm. right? It's mm-hmm. next to zero, I should say. There, yeah. There's a small barrier of entry. You have to figure out how to use a computer and stuff. But pretty much anyone can start their own YouTube account. Right. You don't need permission from like 
ABC or NBC, those used to be like, in order to have a TV show, to have a show, you needed one of the three networks. Right. And then there was a fourth network that came along, and oh my goodness, now we have 33% more content. Yeah. And now it's it's unlimited content. Right. It's and and, and uh, It would be impossible to consume all the content that's out there in, yes. in a lifetime, yeah. in a single lifetime. Yeah. Absolutely. And in fact, I think uh, there's what, a lifetime of videos posted every hour on wow. YouTube. I, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah, so there's so much out there. And so there is a race to the bottom, meaning there's a lot of junk out there. There's a lot of, uh, you know, what, what's some junk that's on YouTube, Jordan? FouseyTube? Uh, I mean, every cat video. But here's the thing. So, so cat videos or, or FouseyTube. I mean, Fousey has over 10 million followers on YouTube. So it obviously adds value to some people. Right. Um, but it's uh, it's not... So, so we have different types of curation mm -hmm. on YouTube. It's just not the traditional curation. So right. Amazon, when our audience goes and buys our books, it starts to recommend them. If you like this book, you also like this book. Right. And, and people are able to rate them uh, a certain way. Same with YouTube, more comments or, or more shares. Uh, there's an algorithm that YouTube will use. So if you comment on this video or if you share it with other people, then YouTube, or if you thumbs up it, then, then YouTube will, will say, or if you subscribe to the channel even, yeah. right? YouTube will say, well, we'll put that into the algorithm so more people will, will have exposure to this, right? Mm. And so there is even a type of curation there. Even though there's functionally unlimited videos, you're not going to have access to most of them. Mm. You're not, you're not going to find them unless you're searching for it specifically, right? right. And, and so there is a different type of curation that's happening there. There is an unlimited amount of stuff there. Just like you go to a grocery store, you have unlim a functionally unlimited amount of food there, mm -hmm. but you can find the things that you're going to want to eat and you can leave the store with just those. You don't have to eat everything in the store. <laughs> and, and so I guess the thing I, I would say to Tracy to sum this all up is you know, understand what you want and let go of the rest. And what I mean by one is like, what's, what's going to add value to mm -hmm. your life? What's going to add value to your kid's life? And then what's going to burden them as well? Now I can give you the advice, what's going to add value to my life or what's going to add value to Ryan's life. Mm -hmm. But it's not about what would Ryan do. It's about what would Tracy do? What would Sarah do? What would Jim do? What would Jeff do? Whoever's listening to this, what would you do? What's appropriate for you? Because what's appropriate for you may not be appropriate for me and, and, and vice versa. So what do you want? And once you figure that out, it becomes so much easier. Once you get clear on the things that are going to add value to your life, it becomes clear that the rest of those things are just a burden. And yeah. when something's a burden, it's so much easier to let go of it because it's in the way of a more meaningful life. Absolutely. Tracy, I'd love to send you a copy of our book, Everything That Remains. It's, it's really the story of two guys trying to find a well-curated life. It's the story of me and Ryan curating our lives over this, this five-year period. In our late 20s, we discovered this thing called minimalism. We walked away from the corporate world, and we began curating our own lives through Ryan's packing party or through me letting go of 90% uh, of my possessions over the course of eight months. But then also... 
curating our relationships, letting go of toxic relationships, bringing new people into our lives, creating more and consuming less. It's the story of that five-year period of our lives. And I think you'll find a lot of value in that, a lot of helpful tips uh, in there as well. Sean, if you could reach out to Tracy, give her the audiobook version of of this book, or if she wants the book book or the ebook version, we're happy to give Tracy one of those as well. Our next question is from Bryn, also in Pennsylvania. How do you deal with special items you bought or otherwise gotten on vacation? For example, I have a conch shell that I found on vacation, and it doesn't really add value to my life, but I'm having trouble getting rid of it because it's one of those quote-unquote special or cool things you find on the vacation. Another example is if you go to Ireland and buy a wool sweater, and you don't really find yourself wearing it that much, but you want to keep it for the novelty of saying you got a wool sweater in Ireland. How do you deal with these items if the memory of a fun trip is associated with them? So, Ryan, I, I was thinking about the... To go back to the museums for a second, because I think this is really applicable to Bryn's question here. She's talking about dealing with souvenirs. I don't think the real problem with museums is like the curation. They have that down. For me, the real problem is the consumerism, the the exit through the gift shop. Yeah. I mean, there's a whole reason that Banksy made the movie Exit Through the Gift Shop mm-hmm. was to expose the consumerism of the art world, not just the the money that's tied to art. That's a maybe a separate problem. Um, how there's this overinflation of of the price of of art these days, but also the the sort of the trinket, the trinketization of of the art world where literally a lot of museums we go to you were forced to exit through the gift shop it's because they know that everyone at that museum wants to prove that they were at the museum people want to uh have a little trinket a little token fascinating that that uh, has them uh maybe triggers a memory of the museum or they can go to their friend and be like oh look i got this at the lacma and this is proof that i was at the lacma right and like that is why we exit through the gift shop. That's why they have us exit through the gift shop. Like they're playing to this, uh, to this need that we have to, um, w- whether it's to impress someone else mm-hmm. or whether it's to uh, prove to ourself something, mm-hmm. there, it, there is something affirming. Uh, I'm not saying that it's like a good way to affirm, but what museums know is that all that stuff in the gift shop, there is some type of affirmation that a trinket will give someone temporarily or, uh-huh. or, you know, maybe there, I'm sure there's a trinket out there that someone has. They really, really love. I, I always talk about my, the stein my grandma got me. Um, I really enjoy it. I like having it. If it spontaneously combusted, I wouldn't be, you'd be just fine with that. Yeah. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be upset about it, but I, but I really do en- en- enjoy having it. But yes, um, playing to that, having to prove ourselves, uh, uh, that is exactly why you, we exit through the gift shop. Like when I think about Bryn's question, we always talk about the why. That's what we always look at, man. Mm-hmm. Why are we doing these things? Right. And, you know, with Bryn's situation, I would look at why, Bryn, why are you feeling like you have to hold on to that conch shell? What they said was, is, oh, this is like a cool trinket that I should have. Yeah. Is it, is it, is it, you should have it because you, Bryn, really get a lot of value out of the conch shell? Or is it because other people say, oh, 
you should have a conch shell. Mm. Um, I mean, when I, like putting myself in Bryn's shoes, I'm thinking about uh, maybe if like we had, I had some people over for dinner on Sunday night. And if I had a conch shell sitting on my table, it'd be a great conversation starter. Well, especially as a minimalist, because people would be like, what's up with that conch shell just sitting there? But you know, then I could be like, oh, I went on this great vacation and, and let me, let me tell you about this amazing time that I had. Mm-hmm. Now, when, when we tell stories like that, or, or when we're sharing an experience, you know, I would, I would, I would challenge Brenda to ask themselves, like, are you sharing that experience to impress are you sharing that experience to be better? Are you sharing that experience to make someone jealous? Mm. Or are you legitimately sharing this joy that you had with a vacation? The, the verbiage that Bryn used with the shell and used with the sweater, mm-hmm. it sounds like it, they're not hanging on to the shell right. to, for them. They're hanging on for it to be cool. They literally said, this is a cool trinket that I'm supposed to hold on to. Supposed to. Right. I've supposed got, to according to whom? Right. And I've got this, I've got this sweater from Ireland and, and look at this wool sweater. You know how Ireland's known for their wool. <laughs> and well, here it is. I got the wool from Ireland and, I, and I'm wearing it. Yeah. And, and, and Bryn has got to ask themselves... Like, are you doing that for you or are you are you doing that for other people? Again, even with the sweater, it sounds like Bryn might be holding on to this sweater for other people. Yeah. So they, so what did Bryn say? Um, you know, I have this wool sweater that you're supposed to have yeah. from Ireland that, 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 you know, proves that you were there. And, and to your point, man, like who, who says that you're supposed to have that? If it's Bryn, then great. Right. Like awesome. But even, even then not great it's it's a slippery slope what about the supposed thing so i don't have a problem with either one of these items um uh, in fact if that's all you're really struggling with is one conch shell and and one sweater and that's what you feel like you're supposed to have like that's not a problem no it's they don't take a conch shell and a sweater don't take up much space they're not (laughs) the problem they're symptoms of a greater problem as you said the the i'm supposed to have these things because i want to impress other people here here's the the honest truth you're not impressing anyone with a wool sweater and if you are you you're probably impressing the wrong types of people the person who is impressed by the conch shell uh, wow well i would i would just question who i was associating with at that point this this to me is a symptom of uh another well maybe not a symptom but it's 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 like a a parallel to social media how so? Because th- this conch shell and this sweater is something that Bryn can have to be to say, "Hey, look at me! I've I, I, I've done a lot of traveling, and I got this stuff to prove it." Mm. And social media is this: "Hey, look at me! I'm having a blast, and my life is awesome, and I've right. got all the pictures to prove it." Mm. And we've got to be careful with getting back to the why. We have to be very careful with why we're doing these things. So, Bryn, why are you holding on to this sweater? Because you think it's cool. There's a there is a deeper meaning there. Is it be, is it cool to you, or is it because it's cool to other people? The same thing with the conch shell. It's a nice little trinket from vacation. Is it because it's a nice little trinket for you, or is it something that uh, you feel like you need to show uh, to other people? When when I think when we get to that why when we when with these things, especially with souvenirs, and it, it translates over to social media, um, when we are talking about our experiences when we're sharing our meaningful lives with other people, are we doing it in a genuine way? Why are we sharing it? Are we doing it with the intent to make someone jealous or are we doing it because we're, we're including people, not uh, excluding people? So she, 
As a minimalist, everything I own serves a purpose or it brings me joy. Now, a sweater could certainly serve a purpose. Yeah. It's going to keep you warm. It could also bring you joy. It, you it, look great it, in a cardigan, man. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> the the conch shell could also bring you, it's probably not going to serve a purpose, but it could bring you joy. It's a beautiful art piece that you yeah. uh, that you just enjoy. Maybe you never talk about it, but you just like the way it looks. I, I have this like glass jug art piece uh, at, at our home, and like, I don't talk to people about it, but like I just like the way it looks. Mm-hmm. It, I think it's beautiful, and so it brings me joy. I don't, you know, I don't put like a, a straw in it and drink from it or anything, but it, so it doesn't, it, it doesn't serve a purpose in that respect other than I think aesthetically it is beautiful. And you know what, dude, you think it's beautiful yes. and Rebecca thinks it's beautiful uh-huh. and you could give two shits what Ella thinks about it. <laughs> well, yeah, she's five. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I tell man. her what's beautiful. But, uh, no, what, what I was really going to say, and you can give two shits what other people think about it. Yeah. I mean, what matters is, is what you and Rebecca have uh, curated for your home. And that, getting back to the why, why do you have that glass jug? Because you and Bex really enjoy it. It's a great art piece, and you really love, well, I shouldn't say love, well, yeah, you, you love having a- I love a, the experience. Yeah, you love the experience of having a beautiful home in general. Right, I don't love the things themselves. Right. I love the experience that, that the, the home gives to me, but also the other people who are rarely very rarely there in my home and the oh that's a good way of looking at it too the jug adds to your experience Uh so maybe that's how brent or anyone else you know kind of struggling with this this uh feeling of what i should or shouldn't have what's cool to have what's not cool to have you know what is that thing serving is it serving the experience or is it serving something else i mean when i think about um i had this thought last night about how um Oh, I'm trying not to get back into my mommy and daddy issues because I, I don't want to go too much on a tangent. But a long story short, I was just going back to 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 having that um, that perspective of you know uh, my father is who he is, and he uses this uh, this organization as a tool to be you know who he to to be a, a version of who he already is. You have to be a bad parent. So so to to. Look at that on a broader scale. Last night, I was like, wait a minute. Everything we do, everything we have, these are all tools. Everything I own is an extension of me. Every experience I have is an extension of me. And I guess when it comes to owning, you know, souvenirs, we have to ask, like, how is that tool serving a meaningful life? Mm-hmm. If that, whether it's, whether it's you know, a, a set of ideology, whether it's a set of beliefs, or whether it is a collection of souvenirs, we have to ask ourselves, what are those tools serving? Are they serving a meaningful life or aren't they? Or are they getting in the way? Right, exactly. Yeah, so, so I think curation, when it comes down to curating, whether it's the souvenirs or just the other things in our life, curation is really about, is, curation is deliberate, collecting and there is nothing deliberate about collecting everything right every time we go to a new place to bring some new trinket in so i think the first thing to think about is stop bringing in souvenirs going forward that's step number one yeah dude i have been on it's funny i have a section in my gmail 
with travel and then i've got like folders underneath it for every trip that mariah and i have taken for you know putting filing airline tickets filing receipts filing reservation whatever it may be i've got a folder that i can put all these emails in and go to and i'm looking at tokyo germany europe i'm looking at all these awesome places we have been yeah i don't have one freaking souvenir for any of them right and like i don't feel bad about that at all well you have plenty of memories and, yes and that's a word that Bryn used the memory associated with them of course uh the memories aren't in the things the, the memories are in us, and you do have some photos from those places that can help you trigger the memories, but even then, you don't feel compelled to take your phone out and snap a photo every single place you go either, right? There, yeah, Quite often, the good memories stick. Absolutely, man. You know, it's funny. I uh, When I was looking at the, that folder I saw Tokyo, and I remember Mariah talked me out. This is this is why I love having her in my life. Like She talked me out of buying this. Um, it was like a pagoda statue uh-huh. that it was only like this big and it was like you know 10 equivalent of 10 bucks or something and i was like man that is like a nice cool little art piece and you know maybe maybe i'll like it and she was like i don't know like where are we gonna put that in the house and and i'm like oh yeah you're right like i don't really know where we would put that um and i you know I, I i passed on it and i could have went back and got it um you know while i was there in, in tokyo but looking back on that situation like i don't regret not getting that pagoda statue yeah. like i am very content not having a trinket that i can look at and be like oh yeah that's from tokyo well and that's helpful too having someone else in the house you know bex and i have a rule that if we both don't get value from something that's in the house then we agree to not bring it into the house yeah now agreeing on that beforehand it's harder once you have all a house full of all this stuff and you're like but no that's mine that's mine no, like what I've what I've agreed to is I'm willing to let go of anything. I'm willing to walk away from anything, mm-hmm. and I'm also willing to avoid bringing the thing into to the house if Bex isn't going to get some sort of value from it as well. Now, sometimes with Bex, it could be she's going to get so much value from the thing that that that. Uh, by proxy brings me value even if I'm not going to use it you know mm-hmm. she has this kettlebell that she uses almost every day mm-hmm. I don't I don't use the kettlebell but she uses it and like so she gets immense value from it so I'm like well of course I get value by proxy then right mm-hmm. but uh, if there are something else that I wanted to bring into the house we're just going to take up space in this corner or whatever then she has to agree that that is the best use of that space. We Not just she has to agree, we both have to agree mm. that is the best use of that space. And sometimes we'll say, no, I, I don't think it is. And we have to be okay with that. And it allows us to bring far fewer things in to the house. Now, she, she mentioned um, how, how these are special items. The conch shell and the, the sweater are special, mm. special items. Well, it's only special Bryn it's only special if you say it's special mm-hmm. it's a sweater I mean when you say something out loud like this yeah but it's a special sweater this sweater is so special <laughs> it's like when I when I walked by I was walking down uh, maybe it's, yeah go ahead I was walking down Fairfax Avenue yesterday and like there, there's like some sandwich board sign outside for this eighteen dollar rug, and it's like special, <laughs> special eighteen dollar rug. No, it's not actually special just because you say it's special, right? And but at the same time, it's only special because you say it's special. God, the word sounds the word special sounds weird to me now. It really does. <laughs> so, so, so here, here, maybe maybe use the word precious. Yeah. If something is too precious to me, 
I try to find a way to let it go. Oh yeah, and because I start questioning, like, why is this so precious? Wh- to when me? it comes to physical objects, yes, yeah, yeah. physical goods themselves. Um, yeah. th- if it's so precious, that means I'm giving it too much meaning. I'm making it too special. You know, this is why I'm like I've decided recently to not get a Tesla. I don't know if I've announced that. You that. talked about it on the podcast. Last yeah, week. did I talk about it? Yeah. yeah. So it's like <laughs> announce it. Announcement. <laughs> I will not be getting a Tesla. Breaking news, everyone. Breaking news. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little flash. Breaking. Yes, you got me. Jordan's on it <laughs> for the YouTube video. <laughs> yes. Did you see the one he did last week with the lightning and the dog petting? No, I haven't seen it. Yet. Oh, it's so good. That's awesome. You're dude. petting a dog in last week's YouTube I'll video. I'll have to check it out. Um, but the reason, another reason that I, I know I didn't mention on last week's podcast about the Tesla is if I got a Tesla and I, and I, you know, saved for the next, you know, two or three years and was able to save up enough money to buy a Tesla. Well, then now I got a brand new car mm-hmm. that's going to be too precious for me. Mm. I'm going to hate when it gets scratched. I'm going to be annoyed when it's dirty. I'm it's going to be so precious to me that it's going to affect my mood it's going to affect my day it's going to affect my time and attention that are the two most important resources we have mm-hmm. and that is what you uh, to your point i think that's what happens when things become too precious so that 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 ultimately is i mean that's kind of like the i already decided not to really invest in it um for the reasons that i said in last week's podcast also because a car is not an investment it's a depreciating yeah, asset absolutely uh, yeah absolutely um but the icing on the cake for me, I guess, or like the the final nail in the coffin for the te- for the Tesla is that was I w- it the nail on the icing. Yeah, nail on the icing. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's all right, man. Is the um, is it, it it is that that holding it so precious mm. and it constantly being on my mind, like not wanting to have that responsibility. It's why I don't own a house right now. Mm. Like, you know, you and I have been talking about doing some like property investment type stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the thought of being a landlord, yeah, it might be a good investment, but dude, that's going to take up time and attention. Yeah, Owning a new car is going to take up time and attention. When something is precious, mm-hmm. it, it will eat up some of our time and attention. And uh, I want to keep that as much of those resources as possible or use those as deliberately as possible. I guess. Yeah, last week we talked about the five most precious resources. Mm-hmm. That acronym we have, STEAM, S-T-E-A-M, uh, skills, mm-hmm. and then time, energy, attention, and money. Mm-hmm. And in buying a house, I, I own a house in, in Dayton, Ohio, a rental property, and it requires all of those, less so of the skill, but also, but my skills require were required to make the money in order to buy a house, right? right? And, and um, thankfully, Bex is the one who agreed to give up her resources. She's the one who manages the property. We also have a, a local property manager there. Mm. Um, but it takes her time. It takes her energy. It takes her attention. Mm. Uh, those three precious resources, not the physical goods themselves. The house itself isn't precious to me. Mm. It's just a house. It's a, it's a rental property income. Mm-hmm. And if the house were to burn down tomorrow, I have insurance and i'd be okay i'd be just fine without it yeah um the uh two things for la- last things for brand uh we, right before this we were doing the uh youtube pre-roll video that we do every week we, we just do a quick pre-roll thing and one of the questions that came up the person said you know uh the thing i struggle with with my collections is always trying to complete the collections yeah and I think we often treat collections as if once we have the perfect collection, you know, it's the, the scene from Fight Club where he's like, I almost have my apartment just right. 
Like it's going to complete us in some way. Dude, I, I would, there's some kind of like psychological thing there, man. Like for someone who has a collection and they feel incomplete as a person because they don't have the entire collection, mm-hmm. like they're, if they ever completed that collection, uh, like God help them because they're going to have to move on to another collection or they're going to be faced with why they're actually feeling like they're not a complete person. You start to feel lost. Yeah, I, I had that. So, you know, with me and my OCD, I had all kinds of collections. We've talked about, we did a collecting podcast. I think it was episode 118. And um, we, in there, I talked about some of the things I struggle with throughout my 20s, like DVD collections or Al Pacino memorabilia, like really <laughs> random stupid things when I go back. But I would have a collection and as soon as I felt like I either completed the collection or I, I more than complete, because there's something you can't complete the collection. You just right. have an abundance. Like Al Pacino m- memorabilia, yeah. dude. Like there's an endless supply of that stuff, I'm sure. And so if you get an overabundance, I guess it's complete. But then, yeah, I, I then had to move on to whatever the next thing was. Just because you complete one thing, you, you you know, as an author, I know this, you finish one book and then all of a sudden it's like, all right, start the next book. Yeah. And so you have to find a way to enjoy the process of writing the book or those things. You have to enjoy the things, not the act of completing, owning yeah. the, the things because it doesn't become more precious yeah. uh, once you complete the collection. Now you just have all this excess stuff. You've completed the excess. I would encourage anyone out there who you know, is is facing this where they've got a collection of things, but they don't have the the complete collection mm-hmm. and they feel incomplete without it. I would, I would uh, you know, challenge them to ask themselves, why do they feel incomplete without the collection? And I, I would even bring that a step further and see if they can maybe, you know, change uh, uh, the, maybe it's the internal dialogue or whatever feeling it is that they are feeding into with this collection to really, to really try and work towards feeling complete without having the complete collection. Cause that's power, man. Like being able to feel complete without having a a complete collection. Like that is going to, that's going to, I, I would imagine, uh, I I mean, not even imagine like I, (laughs) I firmly believe that that right there sounds like a much more meaningful life than, oh, I got to make sure I have this, this, uh, you know, entire complete collection. And, and the other thing too, is if, if there is someone out there who's like, oh man, I don't know. I don't know. You know, I can't get this last bit of this collection and I don't know how I'm going to get it. And I don't feel complete. Ask yourself, is there something else going on deeper inside uh, why you don't feel complete? Because getting the, you know, collecting them all, like that is going to be temporary relief from the incompleteness that you're feeling. Yeah, that definition of complete needs to change for you. You are already complete. You're breathing. Yeah. You're alive. You're complete. Even if you're in an empty room, the question then becomes, what are the things that are going to enhance my experience of life? Yeah. And guess what? It's not the full collection of micro machines from 1987. (laughs) And, and, and so uh, one last thing for Bryn here, you're going to have to let go of some stuff because you're over complete right now. Mm. And, and so there's this essay, it's coming out on our website. It'll actually be out by the time this podcast comes out, it'll already be on our website. It's not just about letting go. This, this one's called Let Go the Best You Can. Yeah. And it's really short. We look around our homes and see everything we once wanted everything that was supposed to make our lives happy and better and complete. And now 
They're collecting dust, unused. The exercise equipment, the pet accessories, the stacks of magazines, the Irish sweater and the conch that you're that you're holding on to. <laughs> and then there are the things we could quote never discard. The items that hold wistful nostalgia. Grandma's doilies, dad's suit jacket, mom's jewelry, that damn Irish sweater. No, you aren't required to get rid of anything. But if you're stressed by the excess, then perhaps it's time to jettison something. Mm. You needn't let go of everything today. Just let go the best you can. Yeah. You know, the, the one more one more thing I want to add to uh to Bryn's, here you go, Sean. You can put that in the show notes. To Bryn's questionnaire is Bryn sounds like and this is not a judgment. This is just me dealing with the information we have from this question. Sure. Bryn sounds like they are trying to get acceptance from other people. Hey, look at me. I've been to Ireland. Hey, I've been to the beach. I've been to this beach and I've got these things to prove it. And, and uh, you know, someone might look at that and go, oh, wow, that's a really cool sweater. And then Bryn feels good about themselves. Like, oh, yes, thank yeah. you. It is a nice sweater. We all need acceptance in some way. Um, anyone who is, you know, uh, living by themselves in the middle of nowhere, well, they have chosen to live without acceptance, but they still need it in, 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 in some way. I'm, and I'm just, I'm just, you know, trying to really make sure that what I'm saying is, is, uh, makes sense in a general way. We, yeah. we I mean, all you, need you acceptance. Need the, the caveats. I, I, right. I get it. Yeah. So we, we all need some type of acceptance. The question is, is Bryn, what are you, are you gaining the right acceptance with things? So you might have this, what if Bryn had this amazing collection of this amazing collection of souvenirs mm -hmm. and great people looked at the souvenirs, man, Bryn's got a really awesome collection of souvenirs and Bryn's got that approval and that acceptance of people telling them, yes, you've got an amazing collection of souvenirs, but is that, are those souvenirs, is that really serving a meaningful life? I mean, this is really just my way of saying that we, we, we need acceptance. We need people to, um, uh, to, you know, support us in that way, letting us know that they approve of, of what we're, I mean, we all need approval in some way. We just have to make sure that we're searching for the acceptance and the approval in a meaningful way. I think that when I think about any of our friends, like, like Dr. Green or Sean or Jordan or Jessica or our partners or my friend Nate Green is going to be in town this weekend and uh, our friend Sean Mahalik is going to be here this weekend. And we accept them not because of any of the things that they own. Uh, and they accept us not because of like, oh, wow, you've, I really like your apartment or I like your car or, right. man, I really like the way you dress. That's the wrong kind of acceptance. Exactly. We want to accept the person for who they are, not for what they augment their life with. Because if you like just the facade of the house, but there are a bunch of termites or it's just rotting inside or it's just torn apart inside, that's the wrong kind of acceptance. You wouldn't buy a house that has a beautiful facade, but is rotting inside. Yeah. And the same thing is true with the the people that we bring into our lives. Yeah. We don't expect them to be perfect. No, of course not. But but we do we do expect the sort of exterior to match the interior. Well, you know, going with that the what I was talking about earlier with these tools that we have available to us in our lives and how they're an extension. 
I guess, you know, if, if someone's out there and their friends uh, judge them or their acceptance is reliant on the tools that they have in their life, well, their friends might be tools. <laughs> <laughs> Brent, I'd love to send you a copy of our book, Essential. It's an essay collection with 150 essays about intentional living. It's 12 different chapters, 12 different areas of intentional living. And one of those areas, one of those chapters deals with stuff. There's quite a few essays. It might be the longest or second longest chapter in there about how to appropriately let go, how to better deal with the excess stuff that we have in our lives. So Sean, if you can reach out to her, give her the audiobook or the book book or the ebook version of Essential Essays by the Minimalist. And we'd love to hear what y'all have to say. If you have a comment or a tip about curating or collecting, including advice for any of our callers today, leave us a voicemail at 406-219-7839. You can also email a voice memo to podcast at theminimalists.com. We'll air our favorite comments and tips on a future episode. And stay tuned to the end of this episode for this week's listener comments and tips. Ryan, what time is it? Josh, it is time for our lightning round where we answer questions from social media. Here, check this out, dude. I got lightning bolts on my eyes. Ha <laughs> ha, gotcha. <laughs> our first lightning round question is from whom? Oh, wait, uh, wait, we're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, and we're on Instagram, at The Minimalists. Uh, during the lightning round, this is where Ryan and I each do our best to answer every question, which is a short, shareable, less than 140 character response. We also put the text of these minimal maxims in the show notes so you can copy and share our pithy answers on social media if you'd like. And now you can find all of our quotes in one place, thanks to our good friend Jessica Lynn Williams. Minimalmaxims.com is the place for all of those quotes. Yeah, man. I love seeing... It's funny. I'll see like someone tweet something I said. I'm like, did I really say that? I know, right? <laughs> like, is that something like, I said? That is good. I'm like, damn. <laughs> um, our first lightning round question is from Adam. What are your thoughts about collecting useful things that will get better with age? Raw denim specifically, but also cast iron pans and leather boots. Um. Well, so... Here's my pithy answer, and let's talk about this. As the seasons pass, some things get better with age. Just like your forehead. And some things rot. It's important to know the difference. Amen. So, so I mean, uh, quite often, there are things that do get better with, with age. And, yeah. and um, although, again, is it too precious for me? Mm. Am I holding on to it because of the wistful nostalgia or is it like like the boots that I own? It's weird. They have a bell curve. They actually do get better with age, but right. then eventually they get so worn out that I've had them resold once or twice, and and now the leather's starting to go, and now they're worse with it, worse with age, mm. and to a, a point where I have to be willing to let go, even though there's the oh, but they've gotten better with age. Yeah, they did. Yeah, but now they're no longer useful. Time to let go. I love that the, that analogy, man, because it makes me think that they're you know this adam may very well have a nice pair of denim jeans some a great collection of you know iron pans leather boots are these amazing objects we have in our life are they making us feel some are we rotting on the inside from Mm. from owning these things yeah so um yeah just to continue your metaphor um something that we're holding on to if we're feeling discontent with it then that is that is a signifier that something is wrong and uh i know that when i was experiencing a lot of discontent in my life. Like it felt like I was rotting inside. My short answer is this excuses to collect are plentiful. Focus on curating a meaningful life 
and avoid collecting excuses. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's, that's one of our biggest collections there because even the best excuse is still an excuse. Absolutely. You can tweet that one too, Sean. <laughs> um, and and uh, man, we can get really good at navigating the, the waters with our, with our excuses. Oh my God. I mean, if I allowed myself... I could I could talk myself into hanging on to everything. You can justify everything. I could just yes, I could justify anything. I could justify buying a mansion on a forty year mortgage. Yeah. I'm that good at talking myself into things. Right. I was talking to my doctor about this this weekend. Um, forty year mortgage. Yeah, I mean that's the new thing. We were talking to Chris Hogan about it. Uh, the that's the new it the just, new wave. It just like reaffirm the new wave reaffirms the how mortgage is a root. It comes from a, a word uh, the root word of mortgage like it means death contract or something. Uh, yes, it's crazy. Yeah. And so so when I could talk myself literally into to buying a mansion on a forty year fifty year mortgage, mm-hmm. and and feel good about it in the moment knowing that my future self will suffer from it significantly my future self in fact that that's one of the things that that i think about i I think i wrote this down somewhere um yeah will my future self be proud of having owned this yeah so so if it's that 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 irish sweater or whatever right or the conch shell or the the denim boots or whatever will my future self be proud of having owned this yeah i look back at the house that i built when i was 22 years old yeah i'm proud of the lessons that i learned after the fact i'm certainly not proud of owning the oversized house in the suburbs in a place i didn't even really want to live that much but but that's what i was supposed to do yeah not because i thought i was supposed well i thought i was supposed to because it's what i thought everyone else's beliefs were so i made the excuse of well yeah i'll just put you know i can put zero down i can get it right now but of course my future self which is now my present self mm-hmm. is not proud of that purchase dude the the proudness um man I, like another pithy answer i just thought of is instead of being proud of your material possessions mm. be proud of your creations mm. yes. like when i think about there's nothing in my there's nothing i own right now that i would be proud of owning later yeah. I mean, they're the only thing that I'll be, I'll, I will be proud of are the creations that you and I put out into the world, man. Yeah. And, and, and not just that, but the, but the value that I can bring to whether it's a soup kitchen or whether it's to a friend or family member like that, those are things that I am proud of. Yeah. And it's, it took work to get there. It's not like I just woke up one day and I'm like, all right, these are the things that are going to make me proud. Now, like I really had to change a lot of habits and I had to take a lot of actions to, to, um, to get to this point. But but man, it feels good to like, I mean, really and truly, I'm, I, as you were saying that, ask yourself, am I going to be proud to own this in the future? I'm going through all the items that I own in my head. And I'm like, there's not one freaking thing that I would be yeah. like, I'm so glad I owned that. Yeah, that made my life so much. I mean, I love to snowboard. So like, I love the experience and I have to have a snowboard in order to have that experience. Right. But the, but I don't care if I'm on a, on a Burton or a whatever. Like, I don't care the brand name of the snowboard. It is. As long as it works well for you. Exactly. And and so, and that's why I was very specific about the wording there because I totally agree with you. Like, there's no item I'm proud of owning. I'm not, I have a really nice couch. I really like my couch. Yeah. I'm not proud of owning it. But will my future self be proud of having owned it? Meaning, will my future self say, hey, you made the right decision. Yes, you spent two or three or four months 
it was longer than that actually waiting for this couch and yeah. and, and and doing the research and, and figure out did that thing really enhance your life and did you bring it into your life intentionally mm. i'm proud about proud of the decision to bring it into your life proud of the decision absolutely yeah. what's our next question our next question is from beth what if my collections are meaningful how can someone curate a collection what are ways to display items that have meaning so first off, um, here, here's my, my first pithy answer. Our objects do not possess any meaning except for the meaning we thrust upon them. Amen, man. So, so there's no inherent meaning in a thing. And I think we need to realize that. It's so important to realize this item is not meaningful. The uh, Just like a tool isn't inherently uh it's not going to fix your problems. I mean, it, it, you have to do the fixing with the tool. A tool is as good as its user. Absolutely. I could bludgeon you to death with a hammer, or I could just you know hang a picture with it. Right. And uh, Or I could do both. Both and, would be acceptable. <laughs> <laughs> my, my other short answer is curation is the deliberate collecting of that which adds value. Yeah. And so, so these things, maybe you're asking the wrong question. What if my collections are meaningful? Do your collections add value to your life? If so, great. Or do they get in the way of your life? If so, let go the best you can. Absolutely. My short answer is this. Collecting is impulsive. Curation is a skill. When developing any skill, you need to practice. And sometimes a mentor. So if, Beth, if you're having a hard time of, of uh, figuring out exactly how to display your collection... Invite someone over who has nice aesthetics and see if they can help you display it in a nice way. Mm-hmm. If you're having a hard time deciding on, you know, what you should, uh, what you should keep, what you shouldn't keep, what you should curate, find someone who is a curator. Maybe, maybe you got a friend or a family member who uh, does a good job with their stuff at home and they have a nice curation. Um, uh, ask for tips, but but you know, ultimately, uh, if you want to be a, if you want to have a good curation of things it it is a skill and you have to develop it yeah p.s ryan we have one more question is we do yeah from caesar all right is there a magic number marie kondo says a collection shouldn't be more than 30 items oh man we all know the number is (laughs) well wait don't don't say the number yet ryan did you uh, you know what because it's not 30 i got some weird ocd thing going on right now you got adam beth and caesar abc did you do that on purpose no i didn't oh that's good (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, so, uh, um, I actually have a lot to say and I'm going to get pretty fl- flagrant on this one, <laughs> but if you'd like to hear our answers to that question about the magic number, then you can listen to this week's postscript episode over at the minimalist private podcast. It's available exclusively to our Patreon supporters. So if you want to support our show and keep this podcast hundred percent advertisement free, then head on over to theminimalists.com slash support. In addition to our weekly postscript episodes, the Minimalist Private Podcast feed includes our monthly Ask the Minimalist Anything episodes, unreleased recordings of our live events, and the entire back catalog of past private episodes. And once you become a supporter, you'll receive a personal link to our private podcast feed so that it plays in your normal podcast player. That's the player you're listening to this podcast to right now. And as a Patreon supporter, you also receive access to our monthly live stream videos as well as first access to tickets to all of our live events before those tickets are available to the general public so you can get the best seats in the house you can find all the details and all the good stuff over at the minimalists.com support 
And here is a snippet from this week's Postscript episode. You know what? There are some collections that add immense value to your life, but there might be 32 items in that. There might be 132 items in a thing, in a, in a collection. Or a th- collection of 30 widgets might be 30 widgets too many. And so, no, there isn't a magic number. That would make everything really easy. If there was a magic number, there was an appropriate amount of items for you to own. Okay, now it's time for our added value portion of the show. This is where we each talk about something that has added value to our lives recently. I have two things, Ryan. I just listened to this Joe Rogan interview. Uh, with Henry Rollins, and I think it's the second time he's had Henry, Henry Rollins on, mm. and I've I've come to the realization that Henry Rollins is my spirit animal. <laughs> um, no, I I he is so much like me. It is it is eerie. Now, there's like you on steroids. <laughs> well, maybe literally at some <laughs> point. You remember his neck, and I forget what video that was. I, I remember in like junior high. In seeing that video that you're talking about, and I remember Black Flag, right? Yeah, and I remember like I think it was, and I remember thinking because he got his shirt off and stuff in the video. Oh yeah, I just remember thinking like that dude could like flex his muscles and have his own bulletproof vest. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think he's 60 years old now. I've seen him do spoken word events, uh, and he'll just get on stage and talk for two and a half hours without a clear script, but he's so good at it. Mm. But He's really into creation and into the work and he doesn't have a lot of friends. And I realized like I'm the same way. Like he's like, I'm willing to help out the people I care about. Like if, if Sean calls me and says, Hey man, I got arrested tonight. Can you come? And I'm down in, in Tijuana. Can you come help me? I'll be like, yeah, just give me three hours. I'll be down there. <laughs> yeah, be like, it's like not a problem. <laughs> yeah. I'll figure it out. But if he invites me over for dinner, I'll be like, Oh man, why would you do that to me? <laughs> right? I don't want to come over for dinner. You Can't... know what's funny? That's why cuz I thought about um cuz I had these guys over for dinner the other night. Yeah. And well, I was or two nights ago. Yeah, yeah, and I was like, man, I I was like, I forgot to invite Josh. And I was like, wait, no I didn't. No. <laughs> I did not forget to invite Josh. You, you know me so well, you know <laughs> right? not to invite me over for dinner or Like, for oh, come over and have a game night. Game night. Oh, it sounds so terrible to me. <laughs> and it's he, way too much fun for your style. So it was episode 1150 uh, 11:55-1155 on the Joe Rogan podcast and man it i i just, he talked about his he's written 27 books wow and, and you know he has all these albums I mean, he, it's not as many as Colin Wright but <laughs> no definitely more albums than Colin though but he'll, he'll do 200 <laughs> tour stops a year um wow, I, I, the spoken word things That's and nuts. he is like just the machine he really enjoys the work itself and it's almost like it's it's the act of it's not the completion he knows it's never going to be complete but it's completing that task so he, he knows he can move on to the next one and it resonated with me so much but the act of enjoying the creative process now the difference between him and 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 me is I have a family, you know, I have, I have Rebecca and we have Ella and he doesn't have a family and it's against my natural sort of inclination, my natural tendencies, my natural proclivities to even have a family. Mm-hmm. I never anticipated like meeting someone like Bax. Like, I really did anticipate living a life like Henry Rollins and, and being alone for the rest of my life and wanting that. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't like living with other people. Mm-hmm. I don't like being around people uh, most of the time. And the other thing he talked about is like 
most of his friends are actually people he just works with. They're, they're people who are like <laughs> on payroll or commission. And like, for me, that's the, the same thing. Like if I like you enough, we're going to end up probably working together at some point <laughs> because that's the only, because th I, that's what I spend my time doing. Yeah. And is, there's nothing worse with working with someone who you can't get along with, dude. Exactly. God, that's miserable. It reminds me of uh, Dave Ramsey. We were just at their campus, what, last month? Yeah. Um, we were at their campus last month and their hiring process, they hire a lot less for skills. Mm. And you'll go through sometimes 15 interviews to get, to get hired at the Dave, at Ramsey Solutions. Mm. 15 different interviews. In fact, they do a spouse interview. Wow. They interview your spouse to make sure that you're compatible with their values because they know that okay it's important you have a, a base level of, of talent but they can develop the skills in you what they can't develop is working well together right and so being able to work well with other people being able to work well with sean or jessica or jordan is far more important we can develop those those skills together over time we can tweak our preferences over time but we better be able to get along even i don't care if you're you know you can be michelangelo the greatest artist of all time but if we can't get along then what is it i have a feeling michelangelo didn't get along with anyone <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i don't know I, I, but no I, I'm, I'm with you man yeah and, and so yeah you I, could be you could yeah Brad Pitt could uh, walk in the room right now like great like do you get along or not right yeah. right and so so it's really important to be able to get along with, with those people if you, if you want to work with them but for me like if I do get along with you hell we're probably going to end up working together because that's what I do most of the time I work I work uh, almost from the time I get up to the time I go to sleep but it doesn't feel like work to me and this I mean there's the drudgery of administrative stuff it's not work so much as it's creation right and there's still drudgery of the creation as well but I really enjoy the act of of creating things and speaking of creating things Andrew Bell one of our favorite artists he, he was on our podcast uh, uh, the Indianapolis event whatever that one was number 85 maybe um, uh, he he opened up for us. He did uh, you know a set there. Yeah, he, he came on the added value. It's like one of my favorite favorite shows, man. That's yeah. like definitely top three. Yeah, that yeah. was it was so good. And uh, he has a new song out. He did a cover of the Mazzy Star song Fade, oh. Fade Into You. And uh, maybe these kids and their singles, man. It's well, he doesn't do that kind of thing. He's an album guy. I know, but he he's like, I really like the song. I want to cover it in yeah. a different way. And it's not a cut that's going to make an album. So. He covered Fade Into You in a way that is, it's very Andrew Bell. It's not true necessarily to the original, yeah. but it is gorgeous. Maybe, Sean, uh, podcast, Sean, if we can end this, uh, this podcast. Well, if you're watching it on YouTube, we'll put a link to it. So I'm sure Jordan can figure out how to put like a, a picture in picture link or whatever. But Fade Into You, the new cover by Andrew Bell, we'll, we'll, we'll play you out with that one, as uh, Bill O'Reilly would say. <laughs> Play it out. I'll write it. I'll write it myself. Agreed. Speaking of writing yourself, Ryan, what's been adding value to your to your life recently? Dude, first off, I love the way that I'm using social media now because it forces me to look up who I want to pay attention to. Uh -huh. And it's no offense to people that I don't look up on a regular basis, but what I realize is like a lot of the stuff on my feed, it was just there as like a hat tip. Hello, I'm following you. Yeah. And uh, I... I'm just having a lot better experience with it doing that. I was going to like go back and f I actually started to follow some people back and I was like, why am I doing this out? It was out of obligation. It was out of like, uh, not value, but obligation well, because I'm, I, because there are people who mean so much to me, dude, mm -hmm. Colin Wright, for example, like he was the first one I went to go refollow because he means so much. And I want him to know that he means so much to me. Mm -hmm. 
I can do that in better ways than just following him on Twitter. That's a pretty bad way to show show them. Now, Colin is actually the first person I recommend people follow on Twitter right. <laughs> because I get so much value from his his feed. I do too. No, I do too. By, by the way, he's at Colin is my name on on Twitter. Uh, at Colin is my name. But he just shares really useful articles that I really like. But there are other people who I like mm-hmm. uh, that I don't. I get less value from uh, a friend of ours, Chris Brogan. Mm. Uh, we've we've done events with him. Love and, Chris, and, man. Yeah, Chris is awesome. Yeah. I get less value from his Twitter account personally. Yeah. That doesn't mean that someone else won't. I mean, clearly he has way more followers than Colin. He probably has a million followers or something. But uh, I get far more value from Colin who has just, you know, uh, thousands of followers Mm -hmm. because he curates his account in a way that is aligned with my interests. Yes. Um, When I want to uh, find an interesting article, I go to Colin's Twitter feed. Yeah. I will look up Colin Wright's. Now, I don't always want interesting articles to read. In fact, it's overwhelming when I'm like, oh, there are 10 articles that I know I'm not going to read that I probably should read. Right. Um, but but when I want that, you know, uh, latest technology or perspective on a social issue, I mean, Colin is very good about curating a Twitter feed that, well, it just has uh, uh, things in the news that I normally wouldn't pick up myself because right. I don't go to a million different news sites. Um, and uh, uh, it's it are th- it's things that I am interested, that I would be interested in. And so you trust him to curate a feed. Yeah, as and po- share articles and stuff. A- as opposed to you going out and trying to find the, I'm going to look at 30 different websites, 40 different websites, right. and then I'm going to curate it myself. You can trust certain people. So um, I'll tell you a few of my pe- favorite people to follow on Twitter. Anthony Jesselnick, the comic. Chris D'Elia, the comic. Um uh, who else do I do I really enjoy? Sam Harris, uh, his articles. Um, uh, um, we just mentioned Colin Wright, and then Richard Florida is another one. Richard mm-hmm. Florida is a sort of a demographer. He he wrote the book uh, The Creative Class, mm-hmm. and and he writes about cities and urbanization and and uh, demographics and 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 how we can shift. I mean, it, it's kind of the opposite of that that article we read earlier. But Richard Florida. He's a professor in Toronto now, but he he talks about the issues that cities face and how we can overcome them uh, through sort of collective use of resources. Mm -hmm. And I find a lot of value in the stats and things that he shares and things that he retweets. So those are, I think, probably the top five people. And it's nice to say the top five people. Those are the things I think about, the people I think about off the top of my head right there. Mm-hmm. Those are five great people to follow on Twitter. Awesome, man. I was uh, I was looking at TK Coleman's uh, Twitter specifically, and he had this tweet, and he's another awesome person to follow, man. He definitely is. Uh, he, he wrote, you can afford to veer off the beaten path. You can afford to create your own way. You can afford to ignore advice you don't believe in. You can afford to admit that you what you really think and feel. This is this is so. This is like really hit home for me. The world is big enough to handle you. Your honesty will not cause an apocalypse. And you know what, dude? There was a um, someone mentioned how they they gave me the perspective on how um, there are hoarders and they hoard things. But we hoard other things besides physical objects. Right. And one of those things are, uh, whether it's a pressure that we put on ourselves, we hoard, we hoard um, responsibilities. That's a big one, man. We love to hoard responsibility. We just love right. to say yes to everything. Right. And I'm so th- busy. Yeah. Yeah. And right here, man, this is, to me, it really, it, it translated to someone who is hoarding responsibilities and who says yes 
to everything. Right. Because I know that I got to a certain point in my life where it was a tornado of a lifestyle that I brought on myself because I was saying yes to everything and I was scared to say no. Well, because I thought my world, there'd be an apocalypse that would happen in my world. Mm. And this is just affirmation that, yeah, those boulders that we picked up, those responsibilities we picked up, the pressures we pick up, all those things that we pick up, we absolutely can set them down and the world is not going to end. Um, yeah, TK Coleman, thanks for that, dude. That was that was a great tweet. And it's just, that's why I love Twitter, man. Yeah. I mean, it's such a short, shareable thing. And I mean, it really, like I was thinking about this tweet for like an hour after I read it. Yeah, I, I, I've I heard someone say that, um, you know, Tweets aren't going to change your life. And my response to that is you're probably using Twitter wrong. <laughs> uh, if that's the case for me, I still get the most value from Twitter compared to any other oh, social yeah. media platform. It's not even, not even close. And in fact, I've met, we met TK Coleman. He's been on our podcast twice now. Yeah. Um, he's been on living room conversations with us. He's, he, he's become a good friend and we've gone out to dinner. We, we, we've gone to comedy clubs together and then he moved away. But, uh, but I, I look at <laughs> we move to LA. He leaves. Yes. Wait a minute. Um. But I, I and we text all the time. TK and I and I think he's he's a great guy. But he has a ton of really great insights. And without Twitter, I don't think I would have known that. Yeah. So yeah, he's definitely a good guy to follow. All right, let's move on to right here, right now. So we talk about what's going on in the lives of the minimalists. So last week, Ryan, we filmed the final scene of our second documentary. The Minimalists, less is now. Well, we filmed the final scene that will give us a first draft. Right. <laughs> of the of the film. And I, I really hope, because the way it's laid out, it's not there aren't a bunch of interviews with other people. I don't think we're going to have to go out and obviously we're not going to be interviewing other people. Too. I hope this is it too. I just know from our previous experience with filming a documentary, sometimes you got to put in some missing pieces. But, but dude, that said though, we've learned a lot from that last documentary. We absolutely did. I mean, the last one, there was 2,000 hours of footage to whittle down to 79 minutes. Talk about curation. And this time we knew we needed 4,000 hours. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and so there was twice as many sunset time lapses. Um, no, and so uh, we, like, I think Matt and I spent four or five hours uh, in my home, and then also at the store. We we did this little widget thing. There's this mm-hmm. this monologue that I have in the new documentary about about the true cost of owning a thing, the actual cost of an item yeah. going way beyond the actual price tag. But then we wanted to show, we had this widget, and I'm not going to give it away what the widget is exactly, mm-hmm. but uh, what it really takes to own a thing goes way beyond the price tag. And so that was the, the final scene we had to film. It's not the final scene in the documentary. It's you know, outside of chron- chronological order. But hopefully this will be about 60 to 70 minutes. A lot of curation has gone, gone into this. We've been working on it for about the last year. The next step is the soundtrack. I have a, a meeting with uh, Drew and Nate this week. Uh, they formed the band We for the first, the soundtrack to our first documentary. And they're getting the band back together, literally. <laughs> and uh, who knows, Jordan, we might drag you out to, uh, to Salt Lake City uh, to go to the studio to film some of the, uh, the making of the, uh, the soundtrack, the, the score for this film. Uh, they're super excited about it. And I can't wait to see what they put together. Me too, I, Drew is just, and, and Nate is a great producer. He's a, a Grammy-nominated producer. Drew is one of the most talented musicians. His voice is an instrument in and of itself. And he just knows how to compose something that that, that is a, a soundscape Dude. of simplicity. Anytime Drew makes 
new music, man, I'm always happy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, Sean and I were driving around LA uh, last week, and uh, the one CD I have is Parlor Hawk, Drew's band, mm-hmm. uh, and the fifth song on there is a song called um, "Save Me," mm-hmm. and it's aggressively simple. And, and I love the story behind that. Yeah, and and, and it's it's curation, right? Yeah, because it was actually the most complex song on that album, mm-hmm. which is, by the way, the perfect album. Uh, we we were at uh, Dave Ramsey's uh, uh, studio, and afterward they they did a, a quick lightning round Q and A with us. Said if you're on a desert island, what's the one album you bring with you? Mm-hmm. And for me, it's no question. It's Parlor Hawk's album. Like it's it's the most complete sort of perfect album to me. And I don't know if you could even find it, so I probably shouldn't be recommending it. Uh, you might find a CD on eBay or something. I think I get. I think it's on iTunes it's, isn't it? It might, or Spotify, one of the two. Because I've got his albums. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Yeah, and, and so um, such a such a great album, and um, that song "Save Me" is so stripped down. There's like some distorted electric guitar. There's very slight acoustic guitar. There's some banjo. Some feedback happening. Yeah. yeah. And. And on top of that, there was drums, there were strings. Didn't you do like a full orchestra or something? Yeah, they did an orchestra with it. And then they stripped it all away. And it's just him and his voice singing, save me, save me. And, And like, it is, it's, you can tell that it's the most complete song because of the curation. The empty spaces between notes are just as important, if not more important, than the notes themselves and that is the whole point of this entire episode it's a great album yeah so uh we're working on the soundtrack for that now i really hope the documentary is out by end of the year stay tuned if you're on our email list you'll be the first to know about news updates well matt said he was gonna have it out by black friday right that would be great And and so uh, uh, hopefully we're, we're we gotta it's not really up to to us and Matt we're we're gonna figure out where no the, pressure Matt the home is going to be but for now it. the people expect it well Matt has about about six days left on the documentary <laughs> so um, yeah he's he's working vigorously on on the edits at this point and he and I have been communicating a lot so he's yeah he literally has six days left until he has to give it to Nate and Drew mm. so yes uh, we're, we're right around the corner there but hopefully we'll have it out by the end of the year and ideally Black Friday would be great depending on where it ends up uh, finally where its final home will be all right uh, also uh, oh if uh, do we have time what, what, what what's the time looking like um well, g- g- give us a recap of your health. Okay. Very high level. Just do a high 12. level. You don't have to go into every single okay. detail. Yeah, so... Um, so what have you... Well, let's make this an interview. What have you added back into your diet? So you, right, you were right up to a certain point, you were doing meat, you were doing greens, you were doing oils, uh-huh. and a little bit of dark chocolate. Yep, and coffee. And some coffee. And that was it. Those were the five things. you weren't eating coffee beans, eating. you were drinking coffee. Yeah. So, How dare you? I was chewing the coffee beans. Because <laughs> you, like you like it that strong. Yeah, yeah. So what, what things have you added, tried adding back into your diet? A bunch of things one at a time. Okay. So, so like, like I've, I've just been experimenting. So I had, I guess you could call it a cheat day. Um, the first week of August, I had like the salad from Takaya. It's mm-hmm. like um, my favorite Mexican place in in LA. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's it got in there? It had um, some strawberries, which I actually didn't eat the strawberries, but I just don't feel like I, I haven't been eating fruit at all. Um, there's like a, a little, little quinoa. There, there's a little bit of corn. There was no quinoa. There okay. was uh, a few almonds. Okay. So and, some nuts, some corn. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. Uh, and man, my home stunk that evening. 
<laughs> made you very yeah, yeah. flagellant. Yeah, but like, but but in a very stinky way, right? Mm. And so, um, isn't that funny, dude? Like when I clean up my diet, uh huh. Like. <laughs> my shit literally doesn't stink anymore <laughs> i know right uh, th- that's that's uh, that's the weird thing and so i <laughs> I, I realized that like a lot of the extra things that the, the extra fibers are not good for me to bring back in yet that's not saying that i won't in the future i'm mm-hmm. just saying right now this modified carnivore diet there are certain fibers i shouldn't bring back into my life there was also pomegranate seeds were in there mm. that could have been part of the problem as well um uh, a few days later, I tried a handful of mixed nuts, mm-hmm. and they do not agree with me at all. That's one of the culprits. Eggs and mixed nuts. I've realized I don't. I probably I might have a slight egg allergy because they destroy me. Last time I tried eggs was last month, and I was down so for a day. You're talking in like you're not, we're not talking brain fog. No, I am talking brain fog. Okay, so so yeah, I guess expound on when you say it destroys you. Um, what does that mean? So the nuts uh, are both. I, I start to feel kind of tired, lethargic, mm. Mm. but then also I had some gut issues around eating those nuts. So mm. the eggs, there were no gut issues, but it was like, oh, I'm so tired, and my I I didn't have brain fog so much as like I felt exhausted yeah. after eating the eggs. With the nuts, it was a mixture of both. So I've realized, okay, no more nuts in my life, right? Um, Brussels sprouts, I, I tried those one day, and they just make me a little bit gassy and maybe a little slight digestion problem, but, mm-hmm. but I didn't feel really bad on those. Um, and then uh, last weekend, I had a piece of avocado toast on sourdough bread from mm. our favorite place, PCP, our favorite local uh, breakfast spot. Nice. And uh, I'm sure it tasted awesome. It was it was delicious, and it made me uh, feel f- I was fine. I did I had no digestion issues, which shocked the hell out of me. That is pretty shocking because it has gluten in it, and the avocado I was unsure about. Mm-hmm. But the next morning. I woke up with achy joints, and really that night I had crazy achy joints. Oh, dude! Inflammation. Yeah, gluten causes inflammation, and it's not just the gluten. I think it's the the fiber as well. I th- mm, because the fiber in the avocado. No, no, no. I mean, bread is you know sourdough oh. bread is, is. There's a lot of fiber, fiber in bread. Yeah. I didn't realize that. And, and so um, I think. Uh, and the carbohydrates, just the 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 carbohydrates in general. The fast burning carbs. Uh, all car, no, no, all carbs. I uh, call really? cause a certain amount of inflammation. Hmm. And so think about my diet. Those five things. There's there are functionally no carbs in there. Very little in the greens, but there's no carbs. Yeah, the chocolate's got the most carbs. No, that's all fat, man. Hundred percent dark chocolate is fat. So okay, so there are carbs that doesn't that uh, yeah. So there there is a difference between we are talking about a difference between carbs here. What are you talking about? Well, I what the statement I made was um, fast burning carbs are what causes the inflammation. Yeah, I'm and saying you're, all carbs. And you're saying all carbs. Yes, except for chocolate carbs. I'm saying chocolate doesn't really have carbs. Mm, chocolate carbs. It it has hundred percent dark chocolate has very few. If you're going to get twenty to twenty five per bar, twenty five grams. Okay, of I'm carbs eating in the one bar. square of of dark chocolate and. Oh, I see. You're not do, you're not doing like a quarter of a. You're not doing one serving. No, you're doing less than a serving. Yeah. So yes, you're okay. I see yeah, what you're saying. As opposed to having a sweet potato or a piece of right. bread. Right. I see what you're saying. Like that. Yes, one small Ch- serving of a chocolate. Yeah, you're going to get few carbs and and less than one serving of a piece of chocolate. Yeah, I see. And 100 percent dark chocolate is mostly fat. Um, and and so so when I look at at the diet that I'm eating right now, it's mostly protein and greens, very few green or very few carbs in the greens, even though they are a carbohydrate, just mm-hmm. the net amount you'd have to eat, uh, you know, the, 
a table the size of romaine lettuce to get a considerable amount of carbohydrates from it, right? Gotcha. Um, and so I've found the reason I've so less inflamed over the course of the last month and a half mm-hmm. is because I haven't brought those carbs into my life. And when I do bring them in, man, I got all this joint pain that came back within the same day. Wow. And my knees were hurting. My ankles were hurting. I've heard other people who have gotten off of gluten because uh-huh. specifically because of the inflammation that it caused. Yes. It so- was nothing else but inflammation. It wasn't digestional. It wasn't brain fog. It was just they noticed that when they eat gluten, yes. their, their joints hurt or a little bit more creaky and, and and it's processed carbs in general so mm-hmm. bread would be a processed carb right and so uh, but i think it extends further and i'm still playing with it with my own body mm. but but I, and who knows eventually i might bring sweet potatoes or something back in just to test it I, the nice thing about this diet now is i've refined it and i've stuck to it and i feel really good on it and i can bring one thing in once or twice a week and i i can see how that feels i can yeah. bring a sweet potato in next week and say all right how do i feel after eating this it's a li- it's an elimination diet and it's yes. yeah it works really well so what are you what are your uh foods that you eat now what's the list is it still it's, it's still, it's still, the still, f- the, still those five i mean okay. and I, I i feel pretty good about brussels sprouts at this point okay um, so you've got a sixth yeah but i'm all not right. eating those regularly but i'm okay. eating those other things all those other things still uh, every day yeah and i feel really good about the diet still so awesome those five things that's where i'm at right now stay tuned for more health updates uh we'll, we'll keep you posted here and if you want to comment on this episode the best best place to do that youtube.com slash the minimalists this is episode 146 is that what today is you can just go there you can leave a comment you can interact with other commenters i'd love to hear what you have to say about curation or you obviously you can call in as well other stuff going on at youtube uh, for us right now on mondays this podcast episode comes out a day before the audio so if you want to check this out early a full day early you can watch us over on youtube uh, these episodes come out. And then on Tuesdays, we do the pre-roll episodes like we did today, five, 10 minutes of show prep and also maybe answering some questions from the audience. They're live episodes, but you can also check out the video after it's posted as well. So you can check it out live. It's sort of the behind the scenes aspects of the podcast. Every Wednesday, we're doing living room conversations. We got a few coming out with uh, Anthony O'Neill, Chris Hogan, and um, Rachel Cruz. And then we're going to do some other living room conversations. You just move, so we should do some living room conversations once you're all unpacked. Living room conversations. Nailed it. Yeah, man. <laughs> wow. I'm gonna um, I'm gonna buy like I'm gonna buy like a snifter uh-huh. and like a bottle of brandy. <laughs> <laughs> and then as we have the living room conversations, what do you think, Jordan? Yeah. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing that Jordan made a new intro video for the Living Room Conversations. Uh, we're working on some other videos. Uh, m- one of my favorite things, and I think I figured out why this is one of my favorites, Ryan. We're doing quickie episodes now. So what we do is we extract the little bits from our podcast or little bits from our live advi- uh, live events. Uh, two minutes to 15 minute excerpts. Wait a minute. Did you make these specifically for the gentleman who was asking for two minute podcasts? <laughs> <laughs> no, I gave him a solution. <laughs> But this actually is a good solution for someone like that. I, well, it is. I realize why. Uh, so they're actually not excerpts. They're they're standalone uh, snippets. Well, they're not even snippets. They they are standalone creations. You can get value from this thing without needing to listen to a, a full standalone episode. idea. Yeah. Yeah, and, and so they're they're their own 
uh, creation. You don't. It's not like well, and now you have to listen to the full extended. No, no, no. here's one thing that's gonna add value. And I realize why I get so much value from it because that is how I use YouTube. Quite often, mm. I'll see a, a Joe Rogan snippet or a Joe Budden snippet or someone else named Joe who has a podcast. Yeah, I, I will find the these little. Uh, quickie episodes. They're, they're these full pieces of. It's like Joe Rogan talks about why Shaquille O'Neal would be good at MMA, and you're like, okay, that's one. It's Dude, a standalone piece. MMA. Well, he could have it once. I yeah. mean, actually, he weighed way too much. Uh, I think. I think. Well, there's a limit. Yeah, to how big you can 265. be. Two sixty-five. I didn't realize. Yeah, that. they're super heavyweight, but there's no one in in the division. So if oh. you're above two sixty-five, there's like three people that. No, are there's just... there's literally no one. Oh, I see. <laughs> but there was a weight class, super heavyweight. I mean, I think he was probably what three thirty when he oh, was at his. Well, he'd be the super physical. heavyweight champion. <laughs> he still is. <laughs> it's just him. That's right. Um, but you you and I could put on some weight and. <laughs> <laughs> get our asses kicked yeah <laughs> no thanks yeah i think i'll pass but uh these quickie episodes eventually we're going to try to get to uh, uh we're going to get a few of these out a week right now we've already put out a few at this point so you can find those on our youtube channel and eventually we'll maybe have one of those a day we're also working on a tour recap vlog a uh, monthly vlog called live a meaningful life people often ask us what's the uh well, what's the average day of a minimalist? We don't have a good answer to that, but here's an ideal month of a minimalist. What does it make? What what is, what's included in living a meaningful life? And man, I've I've been struggling with this. Yeah, uh, the last week or so, we've been recording some things for for Jordan, and uh, like Bex and I were hanging out. We went to the Russian bathhouse this this weekend, and we went to this art walk up uh, in Northeast LA and in, in Highland Park and Eagle Ridge, or Eagle Rock, and um. And we were, I found myself like, okay, now I have to record something for Jordan. So, hey, Jordan, here's a video of us at the art walk. Or, hey, Jordan, here's me walking around last night preparing for our podcast. And uh, it's trying to give people an inside look at what does it mean to live a meaningful life. And some of that's going to be a lot of the boring things that I do, like get up early in the morning and write. But uh, Jordan will find a way to edit it and make it, make it at least somewhat interesting. Uh, also, we're going to do some minimalism tips on YouTube. We're going to do some home tours eventually of our homes and some other YouTube shows as well. You can find all of that at our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash The Minimalist. And if you want all of our podcast notes, you always hear me talk to Podcast Sean and say, hey, put that in the show notes, Podcast Sean. Then just sign up for our email list over at theminimalists.com. You go there, you type in your email address at the top. We'll never send you any spam because that stuff is gross. And we promise. Speaking of curation... If you want to find a really well-curated website and a well-curated Instagram account to follow, our side project is called Minimalism Life. The website is minimalism.life, and the Instagram handle is at minimalismlife. Our friend Carl and our friend Alberto work with us to bring you the best of minimalist well-being, minimalist travel, and minimalist design all in one place. You can find that at minimalism.life. Ryan, you got anything else for us? Yeah, man. I got some voicemail comments and tips from our listeners. Check them out. Hi, guys. I'm Brittany, originally from Montana and now living in New York. I wanted to call because you guys speak a lot about intention. Well, I believe that intention is important when buying. I also think we should use intention when we're decluttering. For example, I'm a huge movie fan and recently got rid of over 60 DVDs. Instead of dropping them off at the thrift store to be sold, I donated them all to my local library. Like so, my boyfriend was finally ready to give up his Xbox, so we found a local shelter that frequently has children. 
and we donated the games and consoles to them. While it does create a few extra trips, your things can really create value for someone else if you let them. Hey, this is Jane in Los Angeles. I just had a tip for Kat from the anxiety episode. I used to have a lot of trouble making decisions, too. Um, and now whenever I go out to eat and I'm looking at a menu, I get five seconds to pick. Um, and making quick, fast decisions has helped me get better and more comfortable with making decisions in other parts of my life. Hi, Josh and Ryan. This is Molly from Michigan. And I have thoughts that I wanted to share about some old episodes that I've been listening to. The first is about a mechanical engineering student who was worried about the way that his work when he graduated might contribute to issues of unneeded consumption and too much stuff in the world. And what I wanted to say is that my husband is a mechanical engineer, but he's a mechanical engineer in buildings. So he designs complex building systems, all of the heating, ventilation, air conditioning, plumbing, as they say, everything that sucks and blows in the in these buildings, and that allows buildings to new buildings to use less energy and allows people to reuse old buildings that they might not otherwise have been able to keep in use and would otherwise have had to tear down if they couldn't figure out some kind of special way to to get around having a building that wasn't designed to have air conditioning, for example. So that's a way that this student could actually go into engineering and have a positive impact on the environment and really no impact on consumption. So the second thing is about souvenirs. And what we do is we will buy things on trips that aren't stereotypical souvenirs. They're more everyday type items. So, for example, on our honeymoon in Ireland, my husband bought a tweed jacket. And it's great. He wears it in the fall. He wears it in the spring. It's a perfect jacket for that time when it's just a little too cold for a sport coat, but it's too warm for a big pea coat, a big puffy down coat. And it, it really fits a spot in his wardrobe, and he was able to buy something there that's unusual, not the kind of thing you would get here. And then every time he wears it, it reminds him of our trip, but it's not just from Chachki. All right, y'all, that's it for this episode. If you have a question for The Minimalist, give us a call, 406-219-7839. You can also email a voice memo to podcast at theminimalists.com. We're especially looking for questions about discipline, spouses, and preferences. Now, this preferences one is interesting because uh, we're going to be taking this. uh, We both know what our Myers-Briggs 
is you're an ENFP. I'm an INTJ. I also border ISTJ. And um, we're going to be talking about personalities and how those different personalities interact with each other. But there's a lot of people have been talking to me about this, uh, this other personality test, the Enneagram, which a lot of professionals have been using now. And uh, Is this like a newer Myers-Briggs? Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's it, like an updated personality <laughs> test. Exactly. That's what the kids are using. <laughs> and I don't put too much weight into any of these these tests because I don't, I don't no. want to put me in a box I'm an INTJ so I have to behave this way in fact it's the opposite for me I learn more about myself so I can learn I can compensate for my failures and I can also strengthen my strengths I can take the best parts of me forward mm-hmm. and then I can also find a way to figure out what are my weaknesses how can I deal with the challenges in my life and uh, my friend Adam uh, down in Tennessee we, when we met with him uh, last month when we were on tour he was talking about the Enneagram and how he, he had learned about how he handles conflict mm. and he's been able to adjust that differently. And so I took the yeah. Enneagram uh, this uh, this month and I know you're going to take it. Yeah. Uh, I got my partner Bex taking it as well. I like the I like these tests because it helps me understand people better. Yeah. Like it, yeah. It helps me understand myself better. But in all actuality, like when I'm talking to someone else, like if I know I'm dealing with an introvert versus an extrovert. Like I'm not gonna, I'm not going. I'm gonna like tone it down a little bit, maybe. Right. Try to respect them. I am not going to like be in their face. I'm not gonna ask them over for dinner. Like I am going <laughs> to, I am going to uh, uh, treat them the way that they want to be treated. Yes. And and it doesn't mean that they're right or wrong. It's just they they have certain preferences. And if I know someone's preferences, it allows me to uh, foster a better relationship. Yeah. The nice thing about the personality test is you don't take it for you. You take it for other people quite often. Yeah. Because if you can better understand yourself, you can better understand how you can interact more appropriately in certain situations so yeah. uh, we're going to take it our partner's going to take it i know jordan and jess are, are talking about taking it as well so um we will we'll have a way to figure out how do we best interact with the people around us so that we can communicate with them better how can we how can i make my relationships with other people mm-hmm. better so we're not just accepting them but we're appreciating them for who they are yeah so yeah if you have questions about preferences or personalities or discipline or spouses if you have questions about any of those they'll make it to the top of the list just say when you call in hey my questions about discipline or my questions about spouses or my questions about preferences or personality uh, same thing we're gonna i think we'll call it either personality or preferences then uh We'll move you to the, the, the front of the line there or a question about anything else. You can give us a call. And if y'all leave here with today with just one message, we hope it's this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time. Come apart and you go black
Close your eyes with what's now. 